Welcome everyone to the June 2nd, 2021 Alameda Health System Finance Committee. This is a committee meeting of great import because we will see the fiscal year budget 21-22. I thank you all for coming tonight and I will start just by saying that a budget is a moral document It's also a statement of our priorities. Um, You know, there's a guy who's got a lot of money at his command. He said, it is not necessary to do extraordinary things to get extraordinary results. And those are the words of Warren Buffett. And I think that when we think about budgets, we can think about incremental steps. Every incremental step seems to be small, like a grain of sand on a beach, but when you put it all together, it can be vast. And what you'll see presented today is the result of many hours of work by members of the AHS senior team and support staff who do the work day in and day out to help deliver care that our communities depend on. Every dollar allocated is committed to the care and uplift of the residents of Alameda County. There are large and small proposals and changes that will greatly impact the system over the course of this fiscal year and beyond. Tonight, we have trustees in attendance that are members of the Finance Committee and additional trustees who represent the remainder of the board. Those trustees are here with us tonight so that we can make an attempt to absorb this information as best as possible. Because I am the finance chair, and I do not have an educational background in finance, I'm gonna offer guidance to you all uh, in the same way that I do to my own household. We're gonna cut through acronyms, at least I will attempt to, cutting through the terms, the jargon, and even the size of this budget to imagine answering these questions. What did we do well last year that we should be replicating? What did we say we would do to close the gap last year that may not have worked so well. And what is our gap this year to get to a balanced budget? The final question is probably the most important. How do we close the gap? Uh, Many leaders have talked about kitchen table economics as a way to help people in the general public understand complex economic issues as we try to attempt uh, balancing budgets of this size. That being said, We'll see the presentation of the budget, not using a line by line reading, which is much more complicated than we need to get into. So I'll ask that everyone tune in today with patient ears. We'll formulate questions and share them with our CFO, board clerk and myself uh, by email. Email can be found on the AHS website and any of those questions can be followed up at the next full board meeting on Wednesday, January 9th. Um, I will read to you the, Finance Committee Charter. And just as a reminder, the additional board meeting, board members rather that are attending will not be voting on uh, on our action items tonight. Only members of the Finance Committee will be voting. Uh, the, cha- the Charter of the Finance Committee is that the Finance Committee is appointed to assure that the financial records of Alameda Health System are maintained in accordance with generally accepted accounting principles to review and make recommendations to the board on financial policy, to monitor performance against and variances in the approved budget and report them to the board, and to oversee the management of AHS assets 
and all affairs of a resource management or internal control nature. Now I will lean on our board clerk for roll call. Yes, uh, Trustee Blue. Here. Trustee Esteen. Here. Trustee Fox. Here. Trustee Splendorio. Here. We do have a quorum, thank you. Thank you very much. Rana, do we have any public comment tonight? Let me just double check real quick. Uh, nope, I don't have any. Great. So item A of our agenda tonight is going to be, or item B rather, is gonna be the presentation of our budget. We've changed the order of things to give precedence to our budget. So I'll leave it up to Kim Miranda, our CFO, to take it from here. Can everybody see the screen? Yep. Okay. So I am going to uh, introduce Grace Messina tonight. She's going to present a couple, one section of the budget. She's our new um, director of financial planning and budgeting. Uh, so I wanted to give her a chance. She's uh, new to us and she's definitely hit the ground running to get this uh, budget over the finish line. But I wanted to, I'll let you know that in advance when we get to that part, I'll turn, I'll turn that over, I'll turn that section over to Grace to present. All right, so, seem to go forward. So here's our agenda tonight. We're gonna review the budget goals. So we're gonna um, propose an operating budget for FY22. I'm gonna go over some key assumptions. Um, we'll do some analysis. I want to talk about financial risks uh, and performance improvement. And then I have a cash flow and then I have a proposed capital budget. So starting with the guiding principles, um, we've, we've gone over this before, but I think it's a good thing to uh, remind everybody as we uh, kick this off. So we wanted the budget to be practical this year. We didn't have a strategic plan to go from, so we opted to use a run rate approach pre-COVID. Um, we wanted to make sure we didn't leave out any external factors, uh, such as COVID or other items, policy changes, things that we may know about that would be material to the budget. We wanted it to be sustainable. So we wanted to make sure that we could pay for our operations with this budget, but we didn't uh, or were not attempting to come up with additional funding to pay recoupments from a long time ago. Our board of trustees did give us a goal. They wanted us to get to break even um, from operations. So that would include depreciation. We, uh, we're asked to stretch and to build in continuous improvement items, which we will talk quite a bit about tonight. So here is the proposed budget FY22. It's, um, it's uh, circled there. Um, and looking at it, uh, you can see the total revenue, revenue here at 1.1 is you know, better than we've been in all, all years here. I do want to remind everybody that FY20 had maybe three and a half months of COVID. And of course, FY21, we've been uh, struggling, you know, with COVID and lower volumes and the additional expenses all year. Um, 
the expense line we've tried to help you know tried to hold that as you know down as much as we could um overall when you look at net income we we're not quite at the target of break even uh we're about nine million off um from an EBITDA perspective, we're generating 26.1 million of cash, which is a 2.3 EBITDA margin, which interestingly enough was what we came in last year used doing a pre-COVID budget. For the projected 21, I wanna bring out a couple of comments. Uh, we did make adjustments that you would expect for the strike that we are hoping we won't have another one, it won't continue. Uh, and also the CARES funding, we're not expecting that we're gonna keep getting um, subsidies um, and the behavioral health. So um, the behavioral health is actually a pretty a pretty big dollar amount because uh, we've, we were accruing based on last year's rate and we have been in negotiations with the county. We believe that we'll be getting an increase of 12.5 million. So if you add the 12.5, plus the fact that we've been under accruing all year, uh, it's a big jump and it's making a big difference in our net income for 21. So um, we're coming in at 23.4 and in the finance presentation that is in your packet, right now we're at a loss and we're only through April of 29.8. So that big shift is that behavioral health primarily uh, and the last item I've gotten there is the labor settlement. So right now we're uh, thinking we will pay out about eight and a half million in retro um, uh, amounts to close those contracts. Any questions before I move on? It's kind of the baseline. Quick question, uh, because we've been under recruiting in behavioral health all year, is that $12 million gonna bring us to a whole position? Not on for John George, no. Even with that additional funding, we still lose about 20 million operating that facility. Thanks. So then we do have some things in our back pocket, if you will. Um, we were asked to, to stretch and stretch we did. Um, these items here are things we're still working on that are not in the budget. Uh, my thought is we will just um, report on how we're doing on these things through the year. Um, I don't, I, a budget is only a plan, right? It's going to change probably as soon as we're one month into it in some way or the other. But these are items that we will include in the performance improvement monitoring and we'll report back to this group um, from time to time all year. We've got a trauma coming in, so I... There are two level two traumas, ETA 10 minutes. Okay, so um, IOP program, we're still working with the key stakeholders, with the leaders of the program, with the staff, on what we can do to improve the overall performance there. Sitter uh, management is another opportunity we've identified. Um, we are talking to Huron uh, on an engagement with them. We've put about 10 million net in their uh, savings to us. And then we think we have about another 8 million in labor efficiencies, uh, which could be gained by 
uh, by staffing to our volumes and um, uh, eliminating some of the vacancies that we've historically had. So if we were able to do all of this, we would exceed the target by 11.4 million and we'd be at a 1% margin. So this is a graphic of the material items going from our projected FY21 to our current budget FY22. So we're starting in a negative place of 9 million. We are going to have an increase in our supplementals and other revenue. And I have, um, uh, actually I don't, I'll tell you what those are right now. It's uh, GPP, that's an increase of 16.9 million. Again, we're assuming that, um, that the legislature will allow us to continue to get the safety net care pool and the um, DISH as, uh, as part of the funding. EPP is going up 3.9 million and it's and then those two are being offset by rate range. And you'll see a little bit more of that in the in the appendix. I've got all of the supplementals lined out there and also in the net revenue slide, I'll go over that again. Um, offsets also include the EPIC uh, credit. We got 1.4 million of uh, good install credit because we did a, a good job on the install. So they credit us back some money. And also, um, uh, we have an increase of measure A of six million. The next uh, section there is the COVID impact, and I'll skip that because I've got a slide for that. Um, the strike impact, obviously, we are not planning on another strike next year. The 340B legislation I've called out there, we do believe there'll be a hit of about 1.5 million. Uh, there's been a delay in um, moving forward uh, with uh, the state plan to take over uh, fee-for-service Medi-Cal scripts, so we would lose the 340B revenue that we currently get. We've got a volume increase for GI and surgery. And um, for access in network, I've got um, a slide on that, so I'll show you that in a few minutes. Our key investments. Those are mainly in IT infrastructure. So there's a data center lease in there. There's some computer equipment. Um, we've got some new software. Um, ServiceNow is one of the items that we're rolling out. Uh, and we've also increased some FTEs in um, IT and revenue cycle. The next item there is uh, performance improvements. You might ask me, well, Kim, your slide's got 26.5. This says 30.8. Yes, they're very close, but also included in this and built in the budget that's not being tracked in the performance improvements are um, some additional sitter usage that was built in the budget. And then we have a PTO issue with East Bay Medical Group that I've been talking about from time to time and we've been over accruing, which we plan to fix. So we won't continue to over accrue in, uh, in next year. So that will get us to the 30.8. Uh, for quality and patient experience, um, we do have additional FTEs to work on QIP. We wanna make sure that we uh, maximize the metrics so we can maximize our supplemental funding from QIP. We've also invested in some great break nurses and a nursing training program. 
um, and we to support our length of stay initiative that we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Um, we've got some additional um, leased beds so we can move patients and improve our throughput through the hospital. The last bucket there is the uh, CPI and labor increases. Um, so something to point out here, the total that we built in our budget for later labor increases is actually 31 million. It says 24.6 there. It's being offset by the 8.5 million of the settlements for SEIU and CNA. So it's in essence understated. Um, and we've also got some other non-labor CPI of about two and a half million. So you add this across, you get to our, our budgeted EBITDA of 26 million. So we'll talk about more of this here in a minute, but I wanted to give you kind of the big picture. Any can you just questions? Yeah, can you expand on the EBMG PTO savings? So when we um, when we went live with East Bay Medical Group, um, we actually didn't think that we would be um, accruing PTO. We were thinking that that East Bay Medical would adopt a DTO policy. Um, just similar to our directors and leaders in AHS. Um, however, we did not make that change and we went live on Kronos and we at the last minute could not build in the, the ability to track those P, that PTO in Kronos. So Kronos is accruing um, incorrect numbers. And so I've been reporting that to East Bay Medical Group. We know we need to fix it. It's about 2.8 million. It's also in my report has been in my report um, for this committee as well. So we are going to get that fixed. Wait, maybe I'm looking at the wrong uh, line. I thought you said that was 30 million. So um, yeah, I'm looking at the CPI and labor, mm -hmm. the total increase in salaries that we're giving employees is $31 million. Mm -hmm. And it's be it's, it's, showing up here as a lower number because in projected 21 which is what we're comparing against we paid out eight and a half million in retroactive compensation to settle those contracts mm -hmm. so that is inflating 21's labor costs and deflating the increase year over year so our actual labor income uh, increase is 31 million does that make sense is this the green bar where it says performance improvements? Or are we looking at the red bar? I'm here at CPI and labor. Okay. I'm just talking about just that one bucket. Great. And the EBMG was only a couple million. It yeah, it's a very small part of it. Thank you. That's where I wasn't sure where we were. Thank you. Okay, so here's some key budget assumptions. Um, we increased our CDM by 5%. Um, with a few exceptions in, uh, in lab and in pharmacy. Um, we are in keeping our retirement and benefit, and I'm not including the long-term actuarial portion, just our regular retirement and benefits at the same percent of salary we've been running. Not expecting any changes is what that means. Um, for budget labor increases, there's the 31 million we were just talking about. It's about 3%. Um, we did not include any additional costs in registry. Uh, we feel like in 21 they were high because of COVID, so we didn't uh, think that we needed to build any additional costs on there. 
and we did not build anything for contracted medical groups. We basically went on the terms of the existing contract. Our non-waiver overall was about 2.1, and we did um, work hard to reduce the um, historical vacancy factor, and I'll show you a slide in a, in a few minutes. We, and we did adopt a new FTE process in the Budget Oversight Committee to, to help uh, with this change, because it is really a change in how we have historically budgeted. So now I'm going to talk about AHS pillars uh, and how we've uh, developed the balanced budget. So this first one is sustainability, and it really um, just relates to continuous improvement efforts and efficiencies needed to offset ongoing increases in costs. So this is kind of the slide of the stuff that's not really anything new that we're doing. It's just what we have to do every year uh, to be a sustainable organization. Um, so obviously we need to recover from the COVID pandemic. Um, and we did build in some additional cost structure because things are going to change post-COVID. We, we all understand that. And I'll talk about that a little more in a minute. Um, we did include revenue cycle improvements um, and improve cash flow by because of those revenue cycle improvements. And I've got another slide on that. We did, um, we are going to the payers and we're expecting them to give us pay increases, just like we pay our staff more. Um, we are working on the HPAC and our outside medical cost structure. We want to get the rates down and, and refer fewer people out to save money. And there is, of course, that 340B um, legislative impact that we talked about a minute ago. So here's the slide on revenue cycle improvements. Kim, can you explain what the acronym is NPSR for the payers? Service revenue. Thanks. So um, this is the revenue cycle improvement slide. Uh, so our goal is to reduce AR, the AR days to 50. We're already well on your on our way. So this entire 15-8 did not get to get built into our budget because we're realizing it today. It's part of why our um, line of credit with the county is so low is because we've been continually knocking down those days and collecting dollars. So I don't have the whole 15-8 left uh, to build in, and I will show you that or talk about that when we get to the cash flow. Um, we've got uh, another 1.7. We've um, we have not built our contracts into Epic yet to uh, to actually catch low payments. So we've engaged triage. That's uh, one of the investments we're making on the AR revenue cycle side for them to look at the accounts and make sure we were paid appropriately and go after it if we're not. Um, on the uh, revenue side there, uh, we're going to continue to do that. So there's the one-time pickup we're working on now and then the 1.5 for next year, and we'll continue to do that. The um, Epic Charge Capture Improvements in ED and GI the Wilshire Group's been engaged to help us with capturing those charges. Uh, and we've got an ROI on that. It's going to, a pretty good ROI. It's going to cost us 137 and we're going to bring in 1.9 million. We also want to help our patients get eligible for Medi-Cal. So we are going to invest in a, in a vendor. There's not a lot of money here, 
but it's a huge patient satisfier. It's the right thing to do for our patients. If they qualify for Medi-Cal, we wanna make sure we get them on Medi-Cal. Any questions here? Okay, so this is a little more on that HPAC contract. Um, you know, we've continued uh, to see the membership grow, particularly in the COVID era here, and the medical costs are outpacing the revenue we receive. Um, so we really are focused on trying to get better rates with the vendors. And um, we, are, we are, and the county's actually agreed to have some discussion about what's happening with the program. Um, and, you know, we really want to try to maintain providing services in-house. It's much cheaper for us to provide services to these patients if we can do it than to send it out. So a lot of work is being, a lot of work is happening in the background on how we can make sure that we can't do it before it gets sent out. So lots of opportunities there for us. Here's the COVID slide. So I've rounded the numbers here, but basically we Quick got question. CARES funding of Before we move million. on to COVID, do you just find, is there a dollar amount that we have estimated for this HPAC uh, negotiation with the county? And outside no, we haven't even sat down with them yet. Um, I had a conversation uh, with them. I regularly meet with them and we just had a conversation about how the membership has been growing and how the, uh, you know, the cost of outside services are so high um, and what, what that, how that's impacted AHS. And, you know, they didn't know. I mean, they, they listened intently and they said, you know, they're, you know, willing to have a conversation and, and you know, if there's something we can work out, we'll work out, but there's no promises. There's no, you know, we need to look at the whole program. We can't just, just look to the county. Right, but right now we don't know how much we're losing because we're not capturing more patients or what each head might amount to over the course of a year. Um, we have we have a lot of that information um, that I can share with you if you'd like um, at, at another time. I didn't put it in the presentation tonight. It'd be interesting to know how much this negotiation is valued at. Yeah, again, I have to remind you that there's a lot to it. I mean, I, I feel in some ways we're overpaying vendors. I also think that we should be able to do more in-house. Uh, we should send out fewer patients uh, and um, all of it adds together to the situation of the loss. So, mm -hmm. okay, so here's the COVID impact. Um, our CARES and other funding are about 33 million. Uh, we're not going to, we're not, we haven't assumed any additional relief next year, so we're not going to get that. And then um, we, if we restore our volumes back to pre-COVID, then that is a pickup of 40 million. So a change in net revenue of a plus seven. We had the FMLAs, that was the big cost of um, labor that we, is not recurring, so that's nine million. We have other um, costs that are not recurring. Um, you know, we've been talking about lab reagents and, and you know, linen and, and some of the other cleaning supplies. Some will continue, but a lot won't, so that's nine million. We did put in an additional million for what we think really will continue take those net to 17 million to a total in impact from COVID of 24 million. So that 
is if you look at FY21 and you roll it forward to 22, these are the major COVID differences that tie back to that first slide. Any questions on COVID? I know there's a lot here. <laughs> so then this is how we came up with the contingency that we have built in. Um, we, we assume that pharmaceuticals are going to be 2% higher forever. You know, pharmacy helped us work out that number. That there's going to be additional non-medical supplies of 10% or 200,000, uh, 5% increase for the lab reagents to get to the 1 million um, contingency expense that we built in the budget. Um, none of us really know for sure, but this was our best guess at what we think the ongoing costs would be. Um, we do believe that our volumes, you know, will pick back up to pre-COVID levels, but we did not assume that we're going to have a rush of surgeries or a whole bunch of people running in that um, have not been able to receive services because of COVID or they've been unwilling to come in because of COVID. Um, so maybe there's, you know, there's likely some that maybe have been waiting to come, but we haven't tried to estimate that. So we, we've built the 1 million in. That was after much discussion with the Budget Oversight Committee, that's where we landed. So then the next um, pillar is workforce. And this is the pillar that I'm going to let Grace speak so I can, we can break this up. It might be um, easier to listen to more than one person. So, um, Grace, you want to unmute and take yes. it away? Good, good evening, everyone. Um, so this is the AHS pillars for, work, for workforce. And as you know, we've included an increase of salary of 3%, which is a, about $31 million. The... Retro payments for SEIU and CNA has been um, paid or will be paid in the FY21. So that's $8.5 million. There are a few contracts that remain open, um, but they're not um, and expired, but they're not that material. These are the big items, which is SEIU and CNA. We did build into the budget a reduction of $3.2 million, reducing our overtime from 3.8% to 2.7%. And we're continuing our existing benefit package, no changes in that. And we, are, we have budgeted hiring core staff instead of using registry compared to the actual FY2021. The rates are almost similar, the difference is in the benefits. Um, and then we do have a new FTE process to manage a labor efficiency and vacancies um, coming up in July 1st. So we're um, implementing that by then. Next slide, please. So as you can see, the cost of labor is on the top part of the screen or um, the on the top part of the um, data below. That is the labor that is related only to employees. That includes MD and um, and regular non-MD employees. So that's our overtime per FTE. Our total labor for in-house employees is $178,000 fully loaded. Right below that line is the total labor um, with GASB, which is the, pen the pension, um, long-term pension fund estimate. So that is 
177,600. That includes registry as well. You can see our COP ratio is the same for budget 22 because we did not uh, put in any amounts for the pension, the retirement fund. We do have um, the actuarial report coming in for that retirement fund um, estimate in mid-June. So we would like to be able to get that um, updated. There is no cash or EBITDA impact on that. Next slide, please. And just to reiterate there, the 73.8% comp ratio is the same and you can see it hasn't been in any of these other years and that's because um, that long-term actuarial estimate is it's not cash we pay out the door and we just accrue it but it jumps all over the place so since we're going to get the ACERA uh, actuarial report in June um, I intend to ask the board if when you know if and when you're gonna you approve this budget that you'll allow us just to go ahead and and um, um, account for whatever that amount will be. Um, I expect it may even be a credit again because we had good returns last year. So I didn't want to build it into the budget. I think it would just add a level of confusion and it's of no, it doesn't generate cash. And it, you know, it, regardless of what the actual report comes in, it will not impact cash. And um, we can actually true it up so we won't have this big variance all year long. Sorry to interrupt you, Grace. No, thank you. Um, so this is our registry trend. As you can see, um, our registry was quite high in FY21, and that's because we had the high costs to our backfill COVID leave of, leave of absences, and we also had the strike. And if you can see also our budget for 2022 is 123 FTEs as compared to 18 and 19 at 200. So we budgeted those FTEs as FTEs rather than registry. And our registry per FTE is lower at 153,400 per FTE, as opposed to what you saw earlier, which is 178,000 for the employees. And this does include the travel and the housing expenses. Um, next slide, please. So this is our new FTE process to help manage um, our vacancies and make sure that we hire um, core employees as opposed to registry. So we've standardized the process across the system. We had different processes by uh, different campuses. And so we're standardizing the process. We're also um, managing the vacancy rates better and developing new labor standards. And we're streamlining the approval process. So um, the first top was 24, within 24 hours, and the last three is within a week. So that should help with our hiring process and recruitment. That's all I had. Thank you. Thank you, Grace. And thank you for all your hard work on this. <laughs> All right, so the next is access and network. Um, so we're going to talk about volume quite a bit in the next few slides. So um, we have we've focused on trying to uh, improve access in our network. Uh, and that also included additional physician coverage. And I'm going to give you some detail on that. And we also have the volunteer program um, helping patients get on my health. So that is uh, you know, definitely a worthy investment for us. 
as is the IT infrastructure. And we talked about that earlier on um, uh, security and licensing. So this next slide is uh, in response to the finance committee's concern with the fact that we didn't break out clinic visits between uh, telephone, video, and in-person. So what we, how we are addressing the concern here is um, um, calculating out what the impact would likely be. Um, there are ways to offset this. In fact, if you had, if you were able to do more in-person visits, at, then the, this number would be less at risk or if the timing of the public health emergency changes, that could change this. But what we did here, just to give you an idea of the magnitude, is we said, okay, our billable visits um, for Medi-Cal and Medicare are 202.016. If we limited the number of telephone visits, which those are the other one, only ones now that we know of that are going to take a financial hit on, to 10% and 20%, we calculated the visits there. And then we assumed the same reduction percentage that fee-for-service Medi-Cal is proposing to calculate out a $2.4 million hit that we've not built in the budget. Um, that is not, to me, a very material number. And I don't know that it would be worth trying to go back in and, and um, you know, adjust the budget volumes for this. So any questions on that? Do anybody want to talk about that more? I guess my question would be uh, how, the, what would be the quality impact on this? Um, you know, uh, anecdotally, I feel that the, the, the patients are really appreciating telephone visits and their access. They are. I think, I think show rates have been at their highest uh, they've ever been because we're calling patients. So would this, would this number hold when we, if we were to re return back to 90% in person and 80% in person? Uh, and, and can we make that presumption that that can go along? And then of course, the efficiency and the patient centeredness part of this. I don't know if, if Catherine, do you want to respond? Yeah, I'm happy to respond. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if you wanted to punt it to me, but um, so Catherine Horner, I um, oversee our ambulatory area. Um, so um, yeah, so we have been talking with, especially our primary care providers about um, what the patient demand is for the telehealth visits, um, as well as looking at our quality metrics um, um, and making sure that we're balancing access with quality um, in particular, um, and, and then also revenue as well. So I think that this plan will give us um, a good balance. And of course, we can adjust moving forward um, if the reimbursement changes or we are learning new things about what we need to do to um, take care of our patients. So Catherine, would this plan be executed after uh, a presumption of a, it, it, oh, after a reduction? Two care towers, six floors, nurses station. Uh, Greg, a two care towers, six floors, nurses station. For specialty clinics, we are actually working with the specialties to have them um, submit new templates by July 1st. Um, and then it takes a few months for those um, templates to get implemented. Um, so that is the plan. 
So, so this is a this is a this is the plan to go, or, or it would be reactive to a change in uh, payment. This is the plan to go for specialty. I would say primary care leadership has not yet um, um, given this the go 100%, but this is what the current thinking is. It hasn't just hasn't gotten approved yet. Um, the caveat with specialty is that we all know that if reimbursement in particular changes or we want to take a different approach, that um, we'll, we will need to iterate. And we can we can always layer something on in the in our in our um, monthly financial process to monitor it um, as we learn more. Um, but right now, with all the unknowns and the magnitude of the dollars, we just we didn't um, build anything in. I think as we know more, then we can we can operationalize Catherine's plan. Any more questions on that one? Okay, so this is the budget volume overview. And um, as you remember from the key budget assumptions, we're trying, we attempted to go back to um, pre-COVID levels. And when you look at this, you know, there's not, they're not, they're comparing to 21, which is COVID. And to remind you, uh, three and a half months of 2020 was also COVID. So you can't really compare 21 or 20. And 19 is going back quite a while. So I'm just going to make a couple comments on how we got to these volume levels. So for acute patient days, 107 fits right in here. So we didn't go all the way back to 19 in patient days. Um, and we're not... Um, and we're ahead of 2020, which had some COVID impact. What you're really seeing happening here is the reduction in length of stay. So we have built in a reduction to length of stay. So our discharges are higher compared to the, where they were here. So that's what you're seeing on the acute days. And the acute rehab at basically 8.5, you're right in the middle of these two, so pretty much what you would expect. Um, behavioral health here, we're at uh, we're 25.1, which is a little higher than where we were here, um, but not. It's pretty consistent. ED visits is the one that looks really strange. You go, wow, you guys are up at you know 103, and you've never been there. But I need to let everybody know, if you looked at calendar year 2019, we were at 104.659. And that's what drove this higher number. So it's not that we've never been there. It's just the time periods, you know, the calendar year was higher than the, um, the fiscal years that are in my slide. Deliveries are pretty consistent with where we were pre-COVID. Um, skilled nursing. Just pretty close here um, to where we were for all of 2020. So maybe that's a, a, a bit low, but our discharges are uh, down. So the length of stay is slightly down. And uh, clinic visits overall, um, it's an increase over 2019. So there is some increase built in, but we're not gonna have all of the COVID vaccine visits 
So it looks negative, but I think that's a, an anomaly as well. So I wrote down here that we had 16,000 um, vaccine visits in, in 2021 for COVID. Any questions here? One question um, on the behavioral health. Um, do you do you have the uh, capacity to have a a, a six percent increase above the discharges that you had in twenty nineteen? In twenty nineteen, um, so we have a lower um, length of stay in mm -hmm. general. So although our patient days. Well, that's to 21, you can't see it on here. Um, to answer that, in the for the patient days, you're correct. We were pretty much always full. We were full pre-COVID. Um, and the idea here is that we will be able to improve John George operations all the way around. And so in doing so, we need to reduce our length of stay. What's the plan for improving all the way around? Well, that's one of our performance improvement initiatives, which we'll be getting to here. And we'll be, you know, obviously reporting back to you on a regular basis. So what, can we hold that thought for just a little bit? And, okay, thank you. So this is the physician access slide. And um, most of the increase is in pulmonology there at 2.6 FTE, but overall 5.9% increase. So this is what I was referring to um, when I said we're improving our access. We have more physician capacity. Then moving on to quality and patient experience. Um, the initiatives here are to reduce that length of stay um we want to be more consistent with national and local um uh, length of stay targets and in doing so we would save about 6.6 .6 million to support this effort our care management team has uh, budgeted almost a million dollars um, to lease beds warden care and, or in, and other facilities so that we can get folks that don't meet inpatient criteria out of the hospital. We have um, increased some staffing at the acute rehab and at John George to support the teams there and uh, improve patient experience and safety. And we've increased FTEs for QIP um, we had, we talked about this quite a bit last year too. We had a big increase in staffing for QIP, but we didn't hire all of those people. So some of this is just an annualized impact. We are moving forward with the nurse training program. Um, so we are um, planning on uh, bringing, using 4.6 FTEs for nurses. And I have some more comments on that in just a minute. And then we've increased palliative care 1.6 FTEs. Some of that is uh, funded by grant dollars. So here's the length of stay initiative. Um, the orange is where we're currently running. The gray is with the half a day length of stay removed from every hospital, equal target. 
the um, sort of yellow oranges is the Medicare length of stay. So that's based on the Medicare DRGs. Um, that is a standard a lot of hospitals use. It's, it's common and you can be compared to a lot of other hospitals. So we wanted to put it in here. And then the blue is the expected length of stay based on our payer mix. So Medi-Cal has a different um, expected length of stay than Medicare in many cases. So the point here is that, you know, we do have opportunity obviously here and that, um, you know, uh, half a day is a significant change. Um, and if we, and we plan to achieve that and it will also give us the savings of 6.6 .6 million and it is actually um, a satisfier for patients and it also helps us with quality. Here's the slide on the nurse training program. Um, so we are looking at um, increasing the nurse quality and reducing overtime for the ICU and surgery. Um, the program includes training 15 employees for 16 weeks. The total budget is 4.6 FTEs equivalent and 1.1 million in cost. Okay, so we made it through all the pillars. So the next uh, set of slides is really just the variance analysis. Uh, so you can see where, how everything kind of comes together. Uh, so on the patient revenue slide here, um, I've, I've added gross revenue. You can see we've got 11.3% increase. We did increase 5% um, um, on most areas. The biggest increase here is in outpatient at 16.9% and that's being driven by the surgeries and the ED visits based on um, the increase over projected 2021. Net patient revenue or sitting at 16.8%. Um, that is a little less than this year, but keep in mind this year we've been making up for some lost ground on Epic. Uh, it's quite a bit better than 2020. Obviously, COVID is having an impact here. Um, and then back in, in 18 and 19, you can see the collection ratios at 16.3 and 16.2. We have had increases in our charges, which does dilute the collection ratio. So we increased our charges about 5%, but we don't expect to collect 5%. You know, Medicare is not going to pay us more. Medi-Cal is not going to pay us more. And that's, you know, 80% or more of our payer. It's really just a few commercial contracts that do that, but we did want to uh, maximize them to the extent possible. We've also got the payer contract rate increases that we talked about. We talked about the behavioral health. Um, and I think that's, that's pretty much this slide, unless anyone has questions. So here's the remaining revenue. Um, here, uh, we've got the Medi-Cal waiver. There's the big increase there, the 20 million. We talked about that in the first slides. Um, measure A, we've got an increase there. Uh, supplemental programs, we do have that rate, the decrease in rate range. This is really just a timing difference of payments. It's not an actual reduction in the program. Uh, we did budget more QIP because we've invested in people to help us with reporting. 
So we expect to be able to um, do better on those metrics and bring in more money. And then there is some miscellaneous supplemental revenue um, and Prop 56 that maybe we could have budgeted more for in all honesty that we did not. But again, it kind of offsets the, the telehealth. It was not a material number. And, uh, but I, the full supplementals is in the appendix and you can see every single change. Other operating revenue, we talked about the 340B. We also talked about the um, um, Epic Good Install not being repeated. And then the other item, new item here is the um, COVID scripts. We've um, been writing a lot of uh, script for those vaccines that we don't expect to continue. So we have taken that out of our other operating revenue. Question, Kim? Yep. Um, the, the, the payments we're going to make on supplemental to settle old supplemental uh, reports going back years and years, they're all reserved on our books, right? They are reserved on our books, yes. Um, one thing we haven't talked about at all is how confident are we in the book level of those reserves and who calculated those and are those calculated by administrations years ago and, and or are they more recent calculations so that we're pretty confident that when those settlements actually come up that we're not going to take hits? Yeah. So CAPH... California Association of Public Hospitals um, does the modeling for almost all the waiver programs. So those are coming from them. Um, the FQ settlement is coming from Nancy, who was uh, my predecessor. And uh, she went through the site of service difference for the FQs and calculated what she thought our estimate would be. It'll be a settlement. So I have no idea, you know, where we're going to land, obviously, we're being conservative. I mean, the idea that we would have to pay that back is, you know, really hard for me to take. When you consider we've been in FQ since the early '90s, and all of a sudden, because we open a new building, we no longer are uh, we lose our FQ status, is is concerning. Uh, so I have a, I have uh, ongoing meetings with uh, with our attorneys on that one. The Medi-Cal cost reports, which is a much smaller amount, is internal. Um, but they do relate to the waivers that the um, uh, that uh, CAPH is providing those models, the P14 estimates. So those ought to be good because we do we do have that. Um, so CH, um, the settlements that we've made in the past has CAPH proven to be pretty accurate in terms of how much we'd have to pay. Yes, they've been fairly accurate. In fact, we uh, we did get notice that we talked about this last month that uh, finance committee for the um, for uh, the FY12 waiver and they were within half a million dollars on a bill on a total payment of uh, of um, 34.7 so that I thought that was pretty close okay thank you all right and then this slide is um, just to give people the flavor of, you know, who pays what in our world. Um, commercial, we have, we do very little commercial business. In fact, our payer mix for the budget is only 6.6% of our charges, but they pay us 
0.1% of our charges. Um, for Medi-Cal fee-for-service, we've got a, a pair makes about 21.5% and they give us about 14 cents on our dollar. The Medi-Cal managed here includes um, the county behavioral health. And so this is actually, because we put the behavioral health in this green bar here, it gets us to 38%. Typically managed Medi-Cal is between the Medi-Cal and Medicare. So this is higher because of that behavioral health. Medicare is about 34% of charges for us. Here in other government, this is mostly the HPAC charges, um, but the payments are for workers' comp and other government. So um, probably I could have put a few more um, breakouts here for you, and I can come back and do that on another time if you'd like. And you know, self-pay is 3.7% of our mix, and we get a little bit of money, about 1.2%. Any questions here? So then this slide just um, lays out the, the supplemental. So this these are all of our programs. You know, you can see measure A is a 29% of this pie of supplementals. It's really big. GPP, the waiver is also very big. And then these are some of the other programs. Um, and then well, this represents 419 million. Again, that details in the deck. And that's 40.5% of our total revenue. And I and it says excludes BHC revenue because historically we've had settlements in there, but in this year's budget, we don't have any settlements. We've accrued everything back to last year. So it's not relevant uh, in this particular presentation, but because of history, I just put the note. And then this here is our total revenue. And this includes commercial, Medi-Cal, managed Medi-Cal, Medicare, and then the supplemental component. Any questions there? And then this is Measure A. Everybody always asks, right? Um, so Measure A funding, I've, I've just reflected it in, in all the, since 2018. Um, you know, again, with COVID happening here, we did see the big decrease. Um, you know, maybe we will see more. We, we, we just looked at our current trend and projected it out. It would have to build back more for us to exceed this. So maybe we're a little bit conservative, but I thought everyone should see the, you know, the trends. So it really jumped in 19 and we did not go all the way back to that level, but we're certainly ahead of the COVID years. Any questions there? So then on to the expenses. Um, labor is on the next slide, so I'm not going to talk about it on this slide, um, but purchase services. Uh, I can see a negative um, a hit here of uh, 3.7. And again, we've talked about most of this. Uh, the IT being, uh, the investment in IT has been a, is a big part of it. What I haven't talked about yet was this uh, collection and billing other than the, that I mentioned triage on the one slide. But we also have some consultants in here that are uh, bringing up our, our cost a bit. Uh, we talked about the length of stay and the fact that we are leasing additional beds and there's some additional costs built in there to hit that target. And then we've got the COVID expenses. We had a slide on that. 
and materials and supplies is decreasing because we don't think all of the additional COVID costs are going to carry forward into FY22. We've also got, of course, CPI increases. And then facilities is where you're seeing a lot of that IT infrastructure, servers, firewalls, and hosting. Any questions here? And this is Taft. So East Bay Medical Group, is that is that buried within labor expenses? And then AH contracts, non-EBMG contracts, is that contracted physician services? Is that how that's distributed? You are correct. And in the labor slides that Grace went over, that one slide had the physicians in it. Um, we can, if you want to go back, we can go back or no, you don't have to, I just okay. want to make sure because that's sort of an important strategically. That's an important trend in the years contracted physician services. That amount has been steadily decreasing. If I recollect correctly, you can see it right here. You know, it was 89, 92, 84, yeah. 37, 37. Yeah. That's because of bringing in, um, a lot of providers to East Bay medical group. I think that's also a good catch because there's a an emphasis on specialty, bringing in specialty care. And I wonder how that's anticipated in these numbers because most of our specialty care uh, at this point are contractors, is that correct? We have a lot of uh, specialists within East Bay Medical Group mm -hmm. uh, and, and going back to that HVAC initiative to try to provide more care in-house, having those specialists really help us do that. I have a question about the IT budget. Does this include bringing Epic to John George? So um, a lot of that work will be done by the existing team. Um, we may need to bring additional work, additional um, Epic support in, but at this time, I'm not aware of any. So we're thinking we'll be able to handle it with the resources that we have today. Uh, I know there's been talk about maybe needing a, a project manager, um, but at this point we have not engaged one. What's the timeline for bringing Epic to John George? Well, we just rolled out um, the, a large clinical part of it to where um, the charting can all be done within Epic, but we still have to uh, actually build out all the reports so we know why somebody's in-house so we can measure it and monitor it. We're still writing off all the charges. We're not posting any payments to Epic. So there's still a lot more to do on that project. And of course, Epic has to be, you know, um, built to support those changes. Okay. So Kimberly, this is Louisa. I have a question on Epic, um, where it is fully implemented. Are we capturing revenue better? Cause my understanding is that Epic was also supposed to address, uh, revenue collection because of all of the programs we have. Yes, and I think that's uh, why our collection ratio has been improving. Um, we've, we certainly have way outperformed my, my, uh, my estimates uh, um, last year. When I was looking at it last year, I, when we projected where our NNB would be um, uh -huh. and with COVID, I, I'm actually way off and most of it is because of the uh, Im improved collections. And uh, we'll probably do soon to bring back another revenue cycle report. And I bet Terry would love to report on that. <laughs> okay. And then uh, the other question I have is 
we've already hired that consultant, Huron. What are they supposed to do? Are they supposed to help with revenue collection in the Medi-Cal, Medicare programs specifically or what? They're going to come in and do an assessment. We have to, we would need to provide a lot of information to them and then we would make a decision at that time on, on what programs or what revenue streams or expense cycles we look at. Um, I, we do not have a executed contract at this point. I don't know if somebody else wants to weigh in here. Yeah, um, this is this is Mark. We should have the contract executed this week yet, I think, Trustee Blue. And we think, and we'll verify it by working with them, but we believe there's opportunities yet to improve um, collections in our rev cycle. We believe we can um, decrease some of our expenses in our supply chain. We want to hook them up with um, uh, the East Bay Medical Group to see if there's any opportunities there, given that it's such a, you know, a young burgeoning organization. Um, we believe that there's opportunity in our pharmacy, um, labor management, um, John George possibilities. So we're really, really early, but when we think about our budget process this year and where we need to continue to improve, all of those areas come to mind and we've chatted with them about that. And do you feel confident they can carry that out? Yes, we're confident that um, working side by side with us um, and really, you know, holding them accountable plus giving them accurate information um, together we can we can we can make it happen and you'll see under opportunities trustee blue you'll see a little bit kim will talk a little bit more about that okay and does that include them evaluating the epic processes for improvement or that's totally on epic to do that um i think they'll be able to discern if we've got a problem with the process and epic is part of the process and we believe that epic needs to be altered or improved in some fashion i think they'll be able to point that out to us they're not experts in in epic we would bring if there's a belief that epic is problematic in any given area then we would bring in the experts around epic our it department etc thank you has ebmg leadership been in any other conversations with Huron? Um, it's it's so early, Trustee Esteen. Um, I've talked with um, some of the physician, key physician leaders, Dr. Ankles Warren, um, Felicia, Dr. Gassan, um, Jamaluddin, etc., and they're all aware. Um, it isn't an area. If we believe we don't want to go there, we don't have to, but they do have the expertise in um, physician practices to help us in any place that our physician leaders feel we might be of, they might be of assistance. But prior to uh, initiating the contract, they haven't had those conversations yet. Um, we've, well, our physicians, a key physicians know about the Huron engagement. If, if that's the question, Trustee Esteen. Well, Mark, if um, I may, um, um, Trustee Esteen asked if they were aware before the contract is initiated. And I think you made the point a moment ago, 
we have not initiated the contract yet. Yes, I think um, one of the things that I uh, am curious about are a few more details. Uh, but we can get to, to more details as we complete the presentation. Yeah, well, just a comment on that too, Trustee Esteen. The details um, as we move forward with understanding where opportunities are will present themselves. And the intent with the Huron engagement is to keep our ongoingly keep our board informed about where we're finding opportunities, where they're presenting themselves, what we believe the, the expense reduction could be or the revenue enhancement might be, and who's involved with all the projects, including our medical staff, who, who will be, if there's opportunities with, within the medical staff areas, they will be intimately involved. Great. Just as one comment before we get off this slide and uh, for, for all our trustees who are uh, newer to the organization as well as to the audience, if we just do, this is simple back of the napkin math as we look at expenses. Uh, if you look at labor expenses at 821, contracted physician services at 37, you add those and you divide those by 1117, the total operating expenses. Our, our, our basically our labor expenses are around 76% of total operating budget. And, and, and this is important as we discuss our, our financial flexibilities and our strategic planning, uh, because in, in this, and I, I'll remind everyone that the board did approve um, uh, approval of the contracts with the union. We fully support that. But, but uh, this goes to our, our financial flexibilities. And if you look at uh, US labor and uh, statistics, uh, around the United States, uh, labor as a share of total operating expenses for hospitals is roughly 56% uh, around, around the country. So we're roughly about 20 percentage points above the, the rest of the nation. But, you know, welcome to California. It's just as we, as we start to make um, our strategic planning, we know that we have limited areas here in which expenses can be cut and labor uh, doesn't seem to be one of them. So um, just as so we're all aware. Uh, apologies for stating the obvious. Yeah, we uh, public hospitals tend to be a little higher than um, than private. Mm -hmm. uh, and also to Trustee Blue, like uh, you know, one example is you know we still do have you know a lot of denials. We have a lot of work there and denials. So although we're doing a great job, a much better job in collecting, our charges are up. We still have you know we're struggling with denials and. It's, um, you know, making sure you have the right documentation and um, ensuring you got the right patient status are, are key to that initiative. And so we'll, there's some, so there are opportunities. Okay. So here's the labor expense slide. Um, if you combine the salary wages and uh, registry here, um, there is an, an increase and that's pretty much driven by these additional FTEs. Um, as we, you know, uh, showed you in those earlier slides, registry is actually cheaper than employing our own people when you include benefits. The uh, benefits are going up because we've assumed we're going to hire, we're going to decrease this registry. So in some ways, we've got a little cushion here. Um, the retirement is, is based on, you know, our, our current trend. 
The long-term portion, the actuarial determined portion, which is non-cash, here, there it is at zero. So now you're seeing it right on the slide. This last year we had a credit. We were actually, we were overfunded. So we didn't have to make any additional funding. Um, and you can see how this, how, how volatile the investment returns have been and what it has done to this, this uh, uh, line item in the financial statement. Um, I actually think, because I know our investment returns were good, I have not gotten the actuary report, but I'm thinking it'll be close to zero and it may be a credit. So I've just zeroed it out rather than have it interfere with all of our other um, uh, discussions tonight. And again, remind me when it comes time, if we're going to approve the budget at the board meeting or if tonight or rec make a recommendation, I do want to be able to chew that up to whatever that actuarial statement reflects. Question on this slide, Kim? Yes. Um, uh, you had, had mentioned that um, uh, in answer to one of my questions on an e in an email that these additional FTEs are in the budget starting July 1, but I assume that they're actually not hired yet, so they're probably not going to be starting by July 1 or even even probably maybe in the, in the whole first quarter of the year. I'm wondering that if, 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 if we got off to a, a disappointing start in the year and we were behind our budget goals, it, would we have the flexibility not to bring all these people? I know it's all important, QIP, nurse training, especially physician app, uh, access and so forth, but would we have the flexibility to delay some of these hires? That is something that uh, that we would we could consider. We The Budget Oversight Committee, we're just um, revising the charter and we are going to meet every other week. Um, and we're, a lot of this has to do with those performance and improvement initiatives. And I think, um, I think that is always something in the, in the, uh, like having a hiring freeze, if you will, is, is something that is in every organization's back pocket, but that is certainly not our plan. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess one question we might have at some point in this discussion is what is, what is your go-to, uh, plan if. Uh, we find ourselves behind budget during the year, or early in the year. Well, at, at this point, our focus has been, how are we going to hit the ground running with these performance improvement initiatives? Um, and it, it, I've got a risk slide here in just a second. Maybe it's the next, not, not quite. Hold on that. Let's uh, hold on that for just one moment. Would that be all right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So this is the FTE trends. Uh, and we've been talking about the fact that we've always got this big vacancy and, and this has to do with the fact that folks think they have to have a position in the budget in order to move forward for any position. So everybody is always reducing registry and, you know, trying to build in FTEs in case they need them. And then what happens is we never really hire those people. So we, in a sense, overstate our expense. So in um, 21, we're closer because of the COVID leaves of absence. But my point is FY21 was based on pre-COVID. We didn't have COVID volumes in there and we have been able to bring that down. Also just wanted to remind everybody, you know, what it costs um, for staffing. 
So here's the financial risk Kim, slide. Kim, can I, I'm sorry, I know you're on a roll here and we all want to get done here, but I, can I, I was going to make some comments at the end, but I, I don't want to let something pass without making an observation. Do you mind? Go ahead, please. Um, I've sat here for several months and, and I've noticed, especially when, it, well, frankly, with most board meetings, we're very heavy on operations. We're long on operations and we're frankly short on strategy. And I just, I heard you say something, Kim, and then I heard Taft say something, which is an example of where someone should have said something to emphasize the strategy. And, and that is, you said that, that registry is cheaper than hiring person, you know, an FTE when you consider the load. And I would have expected, honestly, you know, James or Mark jump in and said, yeah, that may be true. However, it has to fit within our mission. Our mission is to provide the best care we possibly can. And we do that with F, you know, full-time or, or permanent people because of all the reasons that, you know, should be. And I just, I just want to make that comment. I'm, I'm going to say more about strategy, operation versus strategy, at least as to the board's function you know, at the end of this. But I, I couldn't let that go without just observing that it struck me that we should have emphasized, yeah, but it's, it, we have to fit to our mission. You know, we want to save money, all, all those wonderful things, but remember what we're here to do. Yeah, I I was uh, taken back when I first got here, and, and I and I saw that, and a lot of that has to do with the you know the pension retirement benefits. Um, I, I I I know that for other public hospitals, we're not as far out of line, and I think I, I did bring bring that up as well. Um, but I do think having regular employees um, that are with us um, provide a higher uh, level of uh, patient experience, and I think certainly would help our quality. Um, and you, you mentioned another comment about the strategic plan, which I do think is a void. We really need to have a, a roadmap of where we're going. Uh, and the strategic plan expired, and you know, uh, we are a new leadership team, and I know that that's something that we will be working on um, with all of you and um, many other key stakeholders uh, to um, bring forward so that next year's budget would be basically implementing that plan. Uh, so I'm sure that there's gonna be a lot more discussions, you know, in, in regard to all of this. Yeah, Kim, that can, helps. Kim, just I, Trustee Splendoria, I couldn't agree more with you, frankly, that our best asset is our own employees, not contract workers. And I think the reduction um, this year in the budget represents that commitment to continue to drive toward having 100% of uh, our employ employees be our own staff. Um, and I'm hoping that this year we can go even below what we're predicting. Um, there's unusual circumstances that come up where we may need travelers or contract staff periodically, but Certainly, philosophically, I know internally, we're really trying to drive to having everybody be our own employees. Just, just, you know, maybe we lost an opportunity to say something. I, I agree with you, but internally, that is our philosophy. Okay, thank you. 
I would agree. It's James. And certainly because my name was called out, I, I echo what Mark said. I mean, certainly that was an opportunity for us to say something. I would just offer as a, a comment that because we didn't say it tonight does not mean that that's not our focus every day. And so Mark's comments are, are very true. And we understand the importance of having employees who are committed to this organization as opposed to itinerant employees who, frankly, are thinking about their next job. And so that informs and infiltrates all of our thinking. And so did we have an opportunity to say that tonight? Yes, and we missed it. Is that something that we think about every day as we're trying to run the organization? I would offer that it is. Well, I appreciate No, I mean, it's not a, I'm not trying to Chris, could be critical when I'm trying to just observe and maybe let me say what things I was going to say at the end here. I'm sorry, Jen, if I'm co-opting here, but um, I, like I said, we, we spend, I think we're long on operation and very short on strategic and I don't mean the strategic plan, but just emphasizing. And, and I've seen to Kim's presentation, little nuggets where we emphasize like, are we investing in training of our staff? Are you see it, but it's not the theme. It's not the strategy because in my mind, the board's job is to empower you to make the organization more productive, to get more out of every person and with the quality of care that the community expects. That to me is what our job should be. And I see nuggets and then, but we, but it gets lost because we're spending so much time, maybe rightfully so, but I'm in my opinion, not um, on operational detail versus emphasizing those things that we're investing in. And I will have a lot more to say about when we get to the capital budget about that. Exactly. Is this, I see, I see little nuggets, but to me, that's where our board can really help you is, is to emphasize that and say, look, you move you forward, become more productive. Um, I know you're going to talk about telehealth and I know Taft just mentioned how you know, it seems to be more productive because of, you know, less cancellations. You know, I said, and I understand there's an issue with reimbursement, but the point is that means we're providing a good level of care or expected level of care and being more productive. And that's how organizations move forward, in my opinion, um, and pr to, to really you know, fulfill their mission. So again, let me stop there, but that's, that's, I, I just, you know, I don't want to change the presentation, but I just, I've seen that over the last few months and I, it's a change. I would love to see emphasize that this is how we're becoming more productive to provide what we're, we're supposed to provide. Thank you. Bring up a, a good point, Trustee Splendorio. And, you know, when we heard from our uh, health committee chair from the Board of Supervisors last month, uh, Supervisor Chen uh, spoke to the fact that we do have interim leadership right now. And I think our interim leadership has been uh, hesitant to put forward a long term strategy. Uh, because we want to make sure that as we set our mission and our, our guiding star, that we're doing it in a way that is responsible for the future of the organization, short-term and long-term. And I may be speaking out of turn here, but this was my understanding of 
why we didn't have strategy. And I'm pretty sure that uh, our supervisor said, go right ahead. Uh, even though we have interim leadership, that it is time for strategy. And I think that this budget, while you may not hear it as an overall theme uh, from the start, I think that this budget does demonstrate a desire to have high aspirations around efficiencies. Um, and I think we will see more of that as we get towards the end of the presentation uh, in our uh, improvements slide, um, which is where a lot of my questions actually will arise around how we intend to get there. Um, but I do appreciate your, your statements, Trustee Splendorio. I think you make good points around what is the overall strategy for making these improvements. I, I would agree, and I, I would appreciate the dialogue come from coming from the trustees. That's what we're here for. And um, I know I've had strategic discussions with our CEO and our COO on, on this issue. And I think our, our opportunity as a board and with our executive leadership team is, is to be more uh, overt and ostensible in discussing our kind of strategic moves before we develop a full-born strategic plan. Because uh, uh, I, I know that reducing registry actually does relate to an improvement in quality. Because the quality literature tells us that 70% of uh, plane accidents are first-time teams flying together. And, and um, I think our opportunity as a board, Splend, is, uh, Trustee Splendoro, is you're right to articulate why we are doing this operational strategy. How does that feed into a bigger piece of the puzzle? And it would be great to be declarative of quality is job number one, just like the old Ford maxim back in the 80s, right? And I think that's as we start to develop our strategic plan in concert with, with, our, with our executives and perhaps a consultant, uh, we, we need to find those, the, the, those, quote, true norths, which are simple and easy, and we can relate all this decision-making to strategic plan item number one, quality is job number one, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So... I think we have great opportunity here. I'm glad that, that we that uh, I appreciate you, Trustee Splendorio, and calling us out on saying we need to be doing this more because I agree with you. Uh, our, we're not here to manage operations as as a board. We're here, we're here to empower our executive team and provide them with uh, the resources they need to help guide our operations in in pursuit of a strategy. So uh, now I'll try to shut up again. Well, I thank the input of the trustees. And I see that our CEO has come off mute, so I'll let you speak next. But I also want to encourage our trustees who are not members of this committee to share your thoughts and your comments. Um, I mentioned in the beginning of this uh, meeting, but I'll say it again, that while only finance committee members can vote on action items tonight, all trustees are here and have been invited in order to absorb as much as possible in advance of our full board meeting if necessary, we do have a fifth Wednesday in this month, and we can still bring forth questions, get feedback next week, and have time for a, uh, an approval of this budget with whatever questions addressed by the end of the month. So please, trustees, speak up this meeting. Thank you, CEO. I am. Thank you very much, uh, Trustee Esteen. Um, Chair Bouquet really touched on the things that I had hoped to speak to, frankly, and so I will I will hold for now. I'm, it sounds like there are more questions to come, and I'm happy to weigh in later. 
Thanks. Um, and uh, the, the attempt with the pillars is to try to provide the balanced view. Um, and as you know, I said in the beginning too that you know we do not have a strategic plan, and you know, and, and usually you would do a budget to support that plan. So I appreciate all those comments. Thank you. Um, so in regard to the financial risk of this of the FY22 budget. It's, it really is about achieving the stretch initiatives. You know, it's going to be a huge cultural shift and we're going to have to figure out how to manage change. I expect that this uh, cultural shift is going to be very disruptive to AHS. And, you know, we have a plan. You know, our plan is to be very transparent parent and to share information, not only with all of you, but with other key stakeholders and our staff and our employees. But it's going to take all of us, our stakeholders, our employees, our board. It takes all of us as a village uh, and everybody's going to have to support this plan because it is really a stretch. And again, the next slide is the performance improvement initiatives. Uh, some other uh, financial risks are the fact that we expect volumes to return to pre-COVID levels. We're currently running 14%, or we should say adjusted, it's either adjusted days or admission, emissions, they're both right around 14, below the FY21 budget level. They've been steadily coming up, and usually the summer months are lower anyway. So um, that's the, there is risk that, you know, we didn't, our crystal ball wasn't quite right. We talked about telehealth already. Um, we've talked about managing lengths of stay, and that goes right back to that cultural shift and reductions in overtime and flexing. And again, that's, uh, that's not something that we've, you know, done very well in the past. And then there's some risk in our supplemental funding. Um, we are limited in the amount of AB85 realignment funds we can keep. It's all dependent upon our total dollar losses. And then the uh, GPP program, the safety net care pool and the, and the dish have not been extended. We've assumed that the dish portion will be extended in the budget. And then another factor that we have not filled in is that the LME Alliance recently changed the methodology to assign patients and we get capitation funds for that. And so if they change the methodology, we could get fewer lives assigned to us and that could be a negative impact on our revenue. Any questions on this slide? I just, can I just comment on this? Um, I think that um, you guys have done a great job in putting all of this together. You, you certainly have stretched I think in some ways you've gone beyond a stretch budget because um, I think there is a lot of risk in this budget. You're just a couple of examples. You're adding $40 million of net patient revenue to a return to pre-COVID volumes um, and $11 million more for, for payer strategy, which I think we're really at pretty much our own five yard line on that. Um, we have a $31 million that we're going to see details of in a minute uh, for all of our favorite, all of our operational initiatives. And even if we were to achieve $25 million in operational initiatives, that would be a great success. 
in my book, but we would still be about six million a six million dollar hit to the budget. Um, and we only have a million dollars for next year in COVID contingency when we're still not out of the woods. It's still affecting our operations with only a, a month to go till the new year. So uh, my feeling is that I could be comfortable adding some cushion into this budget. Um, I don't know if the other uh, trustees would agree, but I, I also think that uh, there would be an important cultural benefit for all of the organization achieving our budget commitment together in, our, in your first year together, or our first year together. And that would contribute to developing a positive culture, which I think is strategic for the organization. So I'll just put a cap on it there. So here's uh, these the performance improvement initiatives. Before we get into this very important slide, can I just ask about this cultural shift and how that is going to take place? So we, I talked a little bit about the plan. The plan is to improve our transparency and to engage with our key stakeholders. So um, I'm going to let others speak to this too, um, but um, our interim CEO James is having the uh, the desktop chat with our staff. He's planning on including how we're doing on all of these initiatives. Um, uh, Lorna's very engaged with our unions. Um, you know, Mark has been having a lot of conversations with folks in operations. So, you know, we are really trying to embrace all of this and bring everybody together. But it our culture, you know, we have not, you know, historically been successful in in in, in achieving a lot of these kinds of initiatives. Um, you know, I've been here on I guess less than two years, a year and a half. Um, and but I know even from from looking at the information here in this office that it has really been a challenge. So I don't know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be quiet and let maybe Mark or James. Yeah, or... so Trustee Estine, I'll just make a couple comments. Um, we really need as an organization to move from a more reactive, retrospective view of all of the work we do to a real-time, more proactive view of um, our day-to-day -day operations. And I'll use, for example, number one, the overtime reduction. Right now, we have nothing in place within our organization to manage our overtime in real time. We have nothing in our organization to manage our productivity in real time. So we need to consider what are the, what's the structure that we put in place in our culture to manage these things in real time so we can hit on them and help support our leadership team and our staff in real time to make the changes or to get the support they need to be able to get a lot of this work done. So we'll be putting in place structural components and committees and groups um, to talk about things that have never been discussed before in our organization. So um, that's just a simple example of it. Um, so my comments. Sure. And if I may, um, I would just offer that in terms of the the culture that Alan, that trustee fox mentioned um we are really working hard to create an inclusive environment kim kind of alluded to some of the things that we have 
initiated in the past few months to really um, make the the score survey and the transparency around the results, the inclusive nature of the way that we're managing the capital budget as well as for the prior year, as well as the build for the budget in the coming year. We're reinitiating the managers' meetings. Um, a lot of things that we're doing to really make it clear that we are not a unidirectional organization. We're an organization that the conversation is is bidirectional. And we're breaking these silos and really trying to work across the organization and create synergies. And so those are buzzwords. They're not specific items. But um, I think you've heard some of the specific things that have happened already and others that are in the works to really start making sure that the staff understand that their voices are heard and that they are actively involved in how we're going to be successful. Those sound like really great initiatives, and I'm sure they will lead to culture change. Um, I don't know what the timeline is for the shift. You know, culture change can be like turning a, a really big Well, shift. yeah, it, it is, but it has to start immediately. It has to start July well, I mean, we're already starting Sorry, a lot of these yeah. initiatives. Yeah. Um, it'd be great if we could hit every one of these, hit the ground running on July 1st, Trustee Esteen, but that's a heavy lift. But we're doing everything we can to make sure we put the components in place to be able to start hitting on these savings opportunities right away. That's great. That's great. I know that Trustee Banerjee and Trustee Jensen have been waiting very patiently to ask some questions or make comments. Uh, Trustee Banerjee, would you like to go first? And then Trustee Jensen, we'll hear from you. Um, yeah, thank you. That was um, Trustee Splendoria. Thanks for raising that and a really good discussion after that as well. And I know that if strategy is so different from just the strategic planning, the process of that, and even as like the new team um, is is settling in and on wrapping their heads around what needs to be done, there are so many internal stakeholders and external stakeholders that we need to be kind of um, winding things through with as well. I've heard like so many of our physicians talk about like, hey, if we under there are strategies of like. Uh, service lines, not just new service lines, but what, uh, how you could be shifting and shaping some of the work, the uh, uh, work that we do, if, if they could understand some of the fiscal implications of that a little bit more. So having, uh, you know, physician groups take a little bit more ownership on strategy um, as well. Uh, and, and I, I assume that is done, but I, I hope that, uh, EBMG, AIM, all of the other groups are kind of um, really uh, tapped into uh, in those domains as well. And secondly, the are we've still been pretty siloed from the county public health department as of now. As a as an organization, public hospital, usually we are supposed to be doing a community health needs assessment, and we don't do that because we say that the AC, uh, Alameda County Public Health Department does it, but when they do it, there's no like co-designing it, like we don't, we don't do this jointly, nor do we like in designing in, um, in every aspect of it. So I hope that if the county public health 
Uh, and I think they are probably in the process right now. I don't know of uh, our heady committee would know if there is a um, community health asset and needs mapping both happening that we are equal partners at the table. So we are looking at things not just within the confines of our health system, but really at a broader continuum of care across um, our county to what would it mean to be seamless um, care coordination and quality of care to our uh, to our folks. So definitely HICSA, at least on the behavioral health we do, but the county public health, I think there's lots of opportunities for us to be looking at ways in which we can collaborate better on our, and, you know, achieve more of our um, mission in a more uh, biosynergistic way. I'll stop there. Trustee Jensen. Thank you, Trustee Banerjee. Um, thank you, Trustee Esteen, and um, I just, I'll be brief, I want to just comment on a few of the things that, that have been discussed tonight, and I appreciate being able to participate. The 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 movement, and in, in one of the most recent slides, the FTE trends, the movement towards actual versus budget and getting closer to, um, to those numbers, to having our actual FTEs be, be close to the budget, estimate I think is great but um, an earlier discussion and something that trustee Fox brought up as well about um, where is it and, and trustee Splendorio as well is it is it reasonable and and risky actually to be assuming that we're going to be able to reduce the registry to the extent that has been predicted and that is in the budget so that's my comment. That's my um, a little bit of my concern. But I appreciate the whole presentation, and I'm um, I have learned a lot, and I ha I'll have more questions perhaps later tonight or at the full board. Thank you. Thank you, Trustee Jensen. All right, should we go? Can you talk about the performance initiatives. Is it possible to address the answer of her question uh, regarding the registry uh, goals oh, being so? We did uh, uh, we did reduce registry, but registry is actually a lower cost. So in essence, if we if we move some um, FTEs back to registry, we'd actually have a, a savings that might help us a little bit help us with telehealth or some of the other unknown factors. So one of the reasons why we didn't push too much harder was because it didn't have a, that much of a material difference on the bottom line. And folks all agree that we should have regular full-time staff. That's, the, that's best for the organization. So you know, folks set that as their goal and we went ahead and uh, allowed it to... to uh, yeah, and Trustee Esteen, I don't think... <clears throat> There's ever been an organization that I've known that has driven their contract staff down to zero. It's an it's an impossibility, frankly. Um, we've got most of our contract staff, I believe, sitting within um, IT and then coming off now of nursing, um, shedding some of these coming through the pandemic. Um, I'm optimistic we can lower and reduce our contract staff significantly but we're not going to get to zero 
So we've got to get it down to a spot that we uh, kind of a sweet spot where you can run an organization efficiently. Um, we haven't achieved that yet. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that after COVID, we will see the need for registry drop tremendously. Yeah. We were so dependent on registry that we couldn't find enough. Yes. I remember in discussions. Um, I think that Trustee Jensen's question may have been more along the line of how can we eliminate the registry without hiring more people? And is it simply because we're absorbing the change after COVID? Or is it because, you know, do we not need registry at the volume we needed? That was just a temporary. Yeah, yeah. as the census, the so, census comes down, you require fewer staff. Um, and many of the, and I'm just going to talk about nursing now, and many of the traveling nurses or contract nurses are here for 13-week stints. And typically, um, if we have our positions posted, we can hire quick enough to be able to let those travelers go at the end of their 13-week stint. So it's kind of this, this management of, of when they leave versus kind of when we hire. And that's a kind of a dance that goes on um, right now as we're trying to get through this. One additional thing I'd like to just add is that we, to get registry staff down, we do use and recruit SAN employees, right? And that also is a delicate balance, right? To get the right people with the right availability to work extra shifts, which reduces our overall registry. So is that, that does that mean that the registry will be absorbed by services as needed per diems instead of full-time equivalents? No, but we do use them in the in the staffing mix, right, to reduce mm -hmm. the need for additional registry. And some of the registry that even we're using right now, maybe employee health, we used a lot of registered nurses to help with the COVID um, shots, right, mm -hmm. with the um, related to the uh, vaccines. And so those nurses are about to exit the organization at end of June. Okay. Uh, Trustee Jensen, does that answer your question? Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. And just a, just a, as a final comment, in 2019, we had 206 FTE registry. We're budgeting 123. So yes, a, a decrease, but not as substantial. And then our uh, you know total employees in 2019 were 4456, and we're budgeting 4623 with registry. So that helps people feel a little more comfortable. Exactly. No, I feel more comfortable. Thank you. And I also, I appreciate the presentation, but I, I did want to also echo some comments from my colleagues on the board that maybe there is, maybe, of course, our strategic plan is evolving, but a little bit of a, uh, um, idealistic in terms of the budget expectations for new programming and and um, the new ways that we're going to save money by which will involve and include hiring new staff. I'd also like to follow up a question. My understanding is that there are uh, folks who are SAN right now and also folks who are part-time that would like to increase their FTE so that they can become full-time. I don't know if there's an initiative for that, for bringing folks in as a form of recruitment and stabilization. Yeah. 
Yes, Trustee Asin, we do have a process for conversion. So for any staff that working in a department as a SAN employee that work for whatever the contractual period is, it's, you know, it could be anywhere from 12 weeks or 13 weeks, they can be converted to a regular scheduled staff or part-time employee and sometimes full-time employee based upon their SAN hours, right? And we regularly convert them. Um, we are working on a, a current process actually through finance to um, delineate a more streamlined way to do that um, and also to um, capture those hours in real time so managers are aware that they may be overutilizing some SAN employees that are not covering, um, you know, regular medical leaves and things of that nature. So we, we do do that, but we are working on ways to improve that process because that has been a concern of our labor partners as well. Yeah, it's always cheaper to keep staff once they've been trained and onboarded. Definitely. Performance improvement initiatives. Um, so you can see in the middle there, there's some of them that are built in budget FY22 and some of them that are not. And um, we completely believe that this will change. We may add stuff. We may, you know, decide some of these estimates aren't what you know we originally thought because it is a, it is a dynamic approach. Um, the items built in the budget, obviously, we're more um, confident about. So the first one there is the overtime reduction. So in the uh, nursing units, our plan is three percent and all other 1.5% of productive hours. And the total opportunity would be about 6 million. We've built 3.2 million in the budget. Average length of stay, we talked about that quite a bit, a half a day across all facilities, all um, acute um, non-John George. The John George is a separate item on here, but for the other hospitals. Uh, the actual savings opportunity, if we were able to hit national targets, is about $26 million. Um, overall, we think we'll hit $7.5. The um, revenue cycle, um, we've got the cash impact. Again, I did mention that the cash impact is happening now, so it's not all built in our cash flow. Um, but we do expect to have $4 million of evident impact there. The payer contracting, um, we actually think we could have a higher um, uh, dollar amount up to about 10 million. We've built in three. John George, there, we'd really like to get the organization to a break even. We've set it as a target. We've uh, built an optimization model. Um, we are having conversations you know, with the county. Um, we've built in eight. The dental clinic, um, this one, we have a five to $10 million impact. We've built in 500. Um, this one is gonna take some time um, because there's obviously um, filings that have to be made and some epic built, but uh, we think most of that will probably come in next fiscal year. Uh, the pack there, we've built in 0.4, but if we could really control the outside medical services, we think we could actually save $2 million. Um, the IOP, that's not built in the budget. We've put $2 million. Uh, we would actually like to see that 
program be a lot closer to break even, at least from a contribution margin. So if we were to get it all the way, that could potentially go to 12 million. Um, sitter management there, we've got uh, half a million built in there. We think we probably could get that up to 1 million if we could better manage the way we use our sitters. But here on engagement, um, the initial assessment is between 20 and 40 million. We've built in a net of, uh, we've, we've actually built in a net of eight. We've got 10 as a potential, um, or I shouldn't say we've built it in, it has not been built in the budget. We um, have a, a potential of 10 million there. The labor management and efficiency is the 8 million there, got on the wrong line. Um, and again, uh, that's a one or 2% improvement on AOB. Uh, and I know that uh, in regard to the labor efficiency, uh, most organizations have a, have a target per uh, labor hours per unit of service. And most organizations have a pretty um, tight bell-shaped um, curve, so they don't have a lot of variance. And our organization, you know, is an indication that we have a lot of work to do because we have a huge um, standard deviation in our organization. So uh, I don't know if uh, anyone wants to ask us questions or if anybody else wants to comment if I didn't do a good job of explaining or something else. Thank you for explaining, Kim. Um, I guess this is sort of a philosophy. I'll throw this one to our CFO, our COO, and our CEO. Are these performance initiatives, uh, I'm feeling a flavor of optimism as a strategy and develop this. Uh, how would this look if pragmatism was the <laughs> philosophy behind behind this? And, and not to say that they're not pragmatic, but I, I feel like these are a little bit optimistic, but I just, I don't know. I kind of just want your comments on on how how th this was built with with a flavor of optimism or like these are achievable. Taft, um, I think that the budget fiscal year column is the pragmatism, and okay. the savings opportunity is the optimism. Okay. Um, I really believe we can hit them. I think it's going to take a tremendous amount of work and heavy lift. And I don't think we're going to realize them in month one, maybe month two, but you're going to see them start roaring as the year goes on. Um, and so the makeup of all this savings could be a little farther down the line because it's already June. Yeah. So, so uh, and th this is a question to our CFO and and to our to our trustees, uh, uh, Ms. Miranda. We we uh, my my prior recollection, and again, I don't have a finance degree either. Was every ten million bucks ten million bucks is roughly a percentage point of EBITDA? Is that correct? Is that was that is that a good rule of thumb, Kim? Yep, that's pretty close. It's a good round number. Yeah. So so our our current. Uh, proposed budget EBITDA is 2.3% positive. So if we shaved off um, 10 million of this, uh, our, our, our EBITDA would be right around 1% or so, 1.3%. So I'm just, trying, I'm, just trying to, I'm just trying to wonder where we go in terms of expectations because I've been through a number of, of these performance initiatives and they, and they look great. I just wanna make sure that uh, 
we're, we're being pragmatic on what's achievable. So I, I take confidence in knowing that my COO said this is achievable. And, and, and Mark, I get not in month one, month, one, month, one, month, one, month two, this is for budget FY22. So I'm, I'm hearing confidence in, 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 from your perspective, which gives me confidence. And I, I just want to make sure that the, the right amount of wiggle is built in. Uh, and I'll, I'll leave that up to other trustees for comments. Yeah, so I'll, uh, I, from my perspective, uh, you, uh, you, you saw the risk slide. The number one yeah. risk we have is achieving these performance improvement initiatives. Yeah. And it's going to change a vast, it's going to, our culture has to change for us to be able to do this. We should be able to do it. The, the issue is that we need to do it because you're going to see the cash flow in a minute. And this is like the minimum to keep us afloat to keep us going yeah okay um i would love to hear from all of our trustees and committee members uh trustee fox you're on mute Alan. kind of along the lines of what taft was just saying um I would be supportive of shaving back on the EBITDA uh, or adding to the loss uh, to get a little bit more cushion in the budget from a bottom from a budget achievable point of view. Um, and I'd be interested. In, I'd like to ask the CEO, CFO, and COO, each of them, what given given all the stretch that's in this budget and all the initiatives, what is your level of confidence that we will achieve the the EBITDA and the uh, operating uh, loss that's in the budget. I, this is James, and I think that, you know, to your earlier point, this is somewhat aggressive. And by doing the shaving that has been intimated here, it would give me a much higher um, level of confidence of achieving the budget as presented. So just to pin you down a little, I mean, do you feel like you're at a 30% or 50% or 70% or whatever level of confidence as the budget is presented right now? Personally, um, again, it's this is James, and I would say that my confidence is probably 70 to 75%, um, which would go up um, if we did the moderating that you have uh, suggested. Okay. Mark, I, uh, Trustee Fox, I'm with James. I think that would be um, similar, and I'd hate. Um, I I don't know if I would want to give us more fudge. I think I'd I'd rather go, you know, really have us stretch it, um, and really go for it. So yeah, I I think I think I'm with James. Kim? Oh, I, I, I agree uh, also with James. Um, I think, though, that if we want to spend money on capital and we um, want to uh, build a, a, a financially solvent organization, these are things we need to do. 
And um, I think all of us, the three of us in budget oversight committee um, may be a bit aggressive here, but I think it is about making sure we align everyone in the organization because it will take all of HS, the village, to make this happen. And our timing may not be quite right, but I think everything that we've listed is realistic and it should be what we're driving for. Okay. And we probably should go through the cash flow so that you can see the full picture uh, and then maybe talk about this some more. Uh, Trustee Spondorio, do you want to ask any questions about the initiatives before we move on? Uh, I have a question about the John George initiative specifically. Um, when we looked at active length of stay, there was no data listed for John George. And I would very much like to see what our current length of stay is at John George and how we're going to make an improvement, what that goal is. Yeah. So we, since John George is not an epic, I don't have, you know, I showed the graph and all that. That's all from Epic. It's all from our, from the uh, scorecards and things that we've been able to build in Epic. John George is still on paper. So yes, we can go pull the paper and do the calculations. We know that the length of stay is way too long. We know that, you know, there's a, there's a lot of areas where we can improve even in just billing the county and billing timely. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, uh, of initiatives um, inside of this yeah. improvement. And another big one that I, I, before I turn it over to you, Mark, is to improve length of stay, we need to have a place to discharge patients. And that's where the partnership with the county comes in and with other people in the community. Uh, so and, and I'm really glad you said that. Yeah, and Trustee Steen, we're trying to kind of put our finishing touches or thinking around John George because we've got tremendous opportunity with admin days, denial days, length of stay, overtime, productivity. Um, there's a lot of efficiencies to be gained um, at John George. And so um, it's a little harder to extract the data and understand it because it is just coming up on Epic, but I think we're getting a better understanding of every day that goes by. Can we see those metrics that you just listed, the admin days, the link to say the denial days and the productivity? Because this yeah. is one of the biggest. Um, I think we have it in our tracker to come back on John George and give you an update. I think yeah. we have it. Like we can do that. It's that on our tracker. Yeah, you know, John George is of great concern, as behavioral health is to me uh, in an ongoing way especially after we just had this uh, report about constitutionality from the Department of Justice. And I think the partnership with the county is super important that we dig into between HICSA and the supervisors for funding and discharge options. You know, it's not something that we can solve on our own. Uh, right. It, it, it isn't. And extra and to $12 million that they just awarded to us, we still are short by $20 million. So we yeah. have to be incredibly diligent and how we examine John George and our behavioral health system. I, I couldn't agree more. And to that end, I know James and I have an upcoming meeting with the director of mental health for the county. I think the timing is right. 
I think um, there's a spirit of collaboration given the report you discussed, um, Trustee Esteen, that I, I, I feel we can feel we can and should do more together around mental health. Great, glad to hear it. Uh, Trustee Banerjee, I saw you turn your camera on. I'm not sure if your hand is up. I don't have access to see the back end. And thank you, um, Trustee Esteen. The the length of stay related relative to like we don't have stable homes to, for people to discharge to and like that is that and that is an expense that we bear because there's a lack of like there's there's not enough like um service and that's why like so much of our strategy is like our our sustainability and our thriving depends so much on some of the outside factors and that ha really has to be part of our board discussions and our you know internal workings as well um, as far as um, the uh, the question about like, do we want to shave off and have more of a buffer? I do want to listen to the capex part of our work because that is, I, as a person who has been here for six years now, one of the things that I remember there was a time when we had like an EBITDA. We went from our like operating. Um, a percentage of minus 4.4 to like positive plus 2.9 or something. It was a difference of like six percentage points. And I understand that they were low hanging fruit because we hadn't put a lot of the revenue generation and expense things in place. But it was like a year we pulled out all the stops in doing that. And the next year we were like, oh, like let's not shoot so high. Let's try to just be more realistic and from then it's been a downward slide so i want to kind of keep this um keep this like i don't know how yet but we have to keep that tightrope between like uh being realistic and really realistic but also and thinking about like where we want to be um and then but also making sure that we are stretching ourselves and as much as possible, because those buffers will give us the ability to be able to put some of the other things that we can't strive for excellence when we are just able to, you know, stay above water. And like, how do we, how are we able to do that? So I don't have the answer again. I'm not a finance person, but just my memory from in the past when we've kind of said, okay, let's do a more realistic budget. Uh, and, and not as much of a stretch in terms of like performance initiatives or the other. It, it, it's um, it, we've met the challenge to what we've set. Yes. So obviously, I I'm I'm new and I, I wasn't there for all of that, but I I can say that if you look at these items, um, I I don't. Think they're the same ones that were presented before. Um, I think the Budget Oversight Committee has really tried to hone in to areas of the organization where if you compare us or benchmark our performance, it should be better. Thank you for that. Uh, Trustee Blue, do you have any questions in this moment before we move on to the next slide? No, I don't have anything to add. 
keep going. All right. My only final question for the performance initiatives are about the plan. And we've heard quite a bit about um, change of culture, committee meetings, stakeholder input. Um, I think all of that is wonderful. And I am very curious about uh, implementation. Uh, those, those kinds of buy-in strategies are incredibly important. We're talking about moving the entire organization. But I'm super curious about implementation and, uh, you know, being new to this role of finance chair and understanding our role as a board is not to manage operations, but is instead to offer uh, support and guidance. Um, I still would love to see a detailed plan and uh, I want to make sure that it is within the realm of realism to make that request at this meeting to even hear more of a high level plan that helps us understand, you know, the length of stay will be decreased by half of a day across all service lines. How, you know, it, it sounds great. And as a nurse, I'm curious, like, yeah, what are yeah. we doing? I'm sure that there's going to be some specifics. Yeah. Um, so, so Trustee, Esteem, we just talked about this today and I'm getting an echo. Matter of fact, we just talked about it today that each one of these initiatives will have a plan, a written plan um, with key stakeholders that can help move us forward with this. Um, so at any point, the board should be able to say, you know what, I want to see the plan for length of stay. Or, you know, if that's the granularity you would want, um, we, we would be able to provide that. Um, so we haven't gotten them polished up yet and ready to go, but certainly there will be plans for all of them. That sounds fantastic. There is one uh, piece of print at the bottom of the slide that says tracker will be monitored and reviewed by the Budget Oversight Committee. Yeah, so... Every month when we get together, actually it's every two every weeks, two weeks. Mm -hmm. when we get together, we will have our initiative tracker so we can track month to month if we're hitting on these and make adjustments in real time if we need to. Um, so there's going to be pretty tight oversight um, with all of it. The Budget Oversight Committee can also hold the groups that are working on this accountable and or help support them in any fashion that we can. Yeah, I think that that's uh, the kind of report back that could be really beneficial to track, even on not necessarily monthly, but maybe bi-monthly to this committee, so that we can see through the year, you know, how these initiatives are holding. And then that might be an opportunity to just give us a you know, high-level idea of what the plans are and how it's being implemented or changed. Um, so sure. that we're not waiting till the next fiscal year budget presentation to to review. Well, did any of those initiatives actually work? Were they scrapped? You know, is Huron giving us what we expect, or, or is the you know one for two not really paying off? You right. Know, things like that. Uh, and I don't know if that's an, uh, something that needs to go into our tracker, um, Rana. I'll ask for your guidance on that to make sure we're following. Um, I, I, I would love for that to be something that we track as a part of this committee. I'll add it to the tracker. Thank you very much. How does that sound to you, uh, CFO? I know that the, we did uh, report on performance improvements for last year, so the, 
I don't know how often you want to do it, but uh, absolutely. I mean, you guys are meeting every two weeks. That feels like far too frequent for us, but I would say every two months, you know, maybe quarterly every two months. Okay. How does that sound to the committee? Are we all still awake? Mm -hmm. um, That's fine. Yeah. I, uh, for me. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I'd like to add, and like I say, I'm not a budget person here, but just based on what I've heard and I've what I've read, we're going to have to make some tough decisions. So I'd like to make sure we or we have enough information when we have to come down to making those tough decisions. So maybe more, you know, every month or so, just so that we can make changes quickly. Yeah. Trustee Fox, before you run. No, I'm just going to close my door. Um, I think every two months is often enough. I don't think it needs to be every month. Okay. You have to, we have to allow time for things to change and mature as this, these initiatives proceed. Okay. Yeah, and we don't want to bog our staff down with a whole lot of report writing and, right. and things right. of that nature. Um, but since you guys are already keeping track, it might be a quick and easy something to share. And I, too, in my finance report, if, you know, we're not achieving some of these, it's going to, you know, impact the bottom line, too. So it would be in the, in the uh, at least for the budgeted items, it would be in my report. Mr. Jackson, are you going to speak to us? Do you want me to move on to the cash flow? Okay. I'm sorry. I, I apologize. Um, Trustee Esteen, was there something specific that you wanted me to, to address? or No, I just noticed that you weren't on mute, and I wasn't oh. sure if no, you were going to. thank you for asking. No. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you, uh, Ms. Miranda. Yes, please. Okay. So this is the cash flow projection. And we start at the top there with, um, with our EBITDA margin for FY22. That's the 26.1 million. That's the 2.3%. That ties back to the very first slide where we had the proposed FY22 budget. Then I have made some negative changes for the balance sheet. Um, I don't have the detail of this, but uh, what we had to do in a very tight time is because we, we presented the April financial and this budget together, and we just had a couple of days to pull it all together. We projected our balance sheet, and um, the, the, the main driver of why this is negative is that uh, there's a change in supplemental funding. There's a timing difference. Some things move from um, fiscal year to calendar year. So there's a hit of about $40 million just for supplementals. It's just a timing difference. And then in addition to that, um, we are going to pay out um, $13.1 in July on the old waiver. So down here on old waiver at the bottom on the supplementals, you got the 71.6. We negotiated with the state the ability to move any payment to next fiscal year, so it won't impact the line of credit, but it is going to pay out next time, and so I have included that in that balance sheet change. 
So those are our two of the big drivers as to why that's negative. And the days in AR pickup, which was in the other slide, is under 8 million because it's less, it's less than six days. So we're not projecting that we're going to see that full AR pickup next year because we're getting it now. And so that cash is going against our net negative balance. So if you look at projected 21 down towards the bottom net negative balance, we're only at 20 million, which is an all time low. And it's because of these timing differences. So if you go back and you look historically, they're not as big and they're the other direction. Well, it's, it has a direct correlation of, uh, of timing on our NNB. So because we're so low here, you're seeing the hit next year as things turn around. The EPIC financing payment, um, that is a commitment, you know, we have to pay that debt. And then the next section is the capital outlay. Um, this year we have spent very little. We've spent 21.5. I don't know if uh, all of you remember, but we had planned to spend more like 60 million. Um, and COVID and, you know, change in leadership ha has impacted that. Uh, I'll show you the capital budget here in just a minute, but we're expecting to roll forward 9.7 million on the hospital seismic project. And we have about another 8.6 million of approved items that we have not fully purchased yet. And then um, our new requests are 14.1 million of cash flow next year. And I'll show you that in a minute. Right now, I don't have any other capital sources here. Um, I don't have any estimates from the foundation yet. If they're going to do any capital campaigns, remember, this doesn't include operations. They may give us funding for operations, but there's no capital project that I'm aware of, but they potentially could provide other funding um, for capital items. And then the county transactions are all grouped together. So we have the pension um, debt retirement that we're going to make before the end of the fiscal year, and we will pay it off. So that's incredible, wonderful news for this organization. Um, we have the capital cost transfer. Um, that's um, when we settle a cost report. And again, I don't know the timing of settlement, but I'm estimating we're going to have about 732 to give back to the county based on the county owned buildings and the depreciation. Uh, impact we got on our cost report. Um, I have transfers from the county of 5.6. We need to negotiate with the county on what items they want to support us to fund. So we are uh, working with uh, Mark Fratsky on this. Um, so we will uh, propose to the county items that they can use this fund for, and we can get an additional 5.6 if we pull down the full fund um, next year. And then the next two items are the capital reserve fund. This was a fund set up to help us pay for Epic. So we contribute the contributed the 7 million and then the um, county was going to pay it back to us to help fund it. So it's kind of like a reserve fund that's set aside. So far we have not received any money back from the county. They currently owe us 14 million, which is in my projection to be received in this fiscal year. Don't know if that will happen. We have invoiced the county. They've given me every indication that this will go forward. We will need to pay our next 7 million, which we will pay in June. 
if those two transactions occur in 21, we will have a net zero next year. We'll contribute seven and they'll provide, the county will provide a seven million back. So uh, my estimate is that we will have an outflow of cash of 59.5 million and our um, net negative balance will be 80 million at the end of next fiscal year which is great news for us because we will achieve our requirement under the permanent agreement to be under 115 million at June 30. And if those, for those of you who have looked in my presentation for April, our projection shows that we will not meet that 115. So what everyone needs to recognize is the difference is these budget improvements. And that's why it is so important for us to hit them um, because we need that funding to achieve this 115. We have some levers we can pull. We can delay capital more, push some of this out if we had to. Um, you know, as we work through the performance improvements, some things will be easier and be easier wins. That's probably true, you know, if, if we engage Horon. Um, there's, it's possible that we'll have some easy wins there, but there are some levers in all of this. But the good news is if we can get to that 2.3%, we will be in a better position than I've been reporting on the NNB. Down here are the supplemental payments. I do have to mention that this 71.6 will become 58.5 because I'm paying that in July and we missed that. We, we uh, copied this over from the from the March, it just didn't get updated there. So this will this will actually improve um, to be about um, 120 here, and I'll make that change for the board when we post. And then these recruitments, you know, for a public organization, we are really limited in how much operating profit or cash we can bring in, in any given year. These are all you can see the years; they're very old. We will, um, I've got built in here that we will pay that, the recruitment that just came to came due or 15.1 of it. Um, so that is up here in this negative, um, but we don't have the funds to be able to uh, cover all of those liabilities that are sitting on our books, that are reserved in our books. Any questions here? I think this one is uh, incredibly painful to see the difference in the numbers uh, before recruitment and after recruitment. Um, and I know next week we're going to hear from Supervisor Chan about governance. Um, and I'm just going to make a optimistic projection that she's going to tell us that the net negative balance is canceled and we're going to rewrite the permanent agreement as a part of that governance discussion. Uh, I know that that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> that's in my dreams for the organization. Um, I also see that the the capital reserve fund payment from to the county, the seven million, seven million, seven million. Um, below that, it says that the fourteen million is coming from the county, and I'd like to confirm that that is an actual and not just uh, another assumption. Has the county agreed? They, we agree. I, I meet with the staff regularly and uh, they asked me to go ahead and submit the invoice. So I have done that. 
they had some questions, um, the IT department, because it was a, based on the EPIC um, costs, um, has responded back and provided a detailed explanation. And I asked if that was sufficient and I was told yes. And I asked if they had an update for me and they said they did not at that time. Okay, I know that that payment from the county is dependent on meeting the net negative balance. Um, so these numbers are, you know, somewhat unsettling. I don't know if any trustees have questions or comments. Well, Mike, being new in, I have never done anything related to county government before, but what can, do we know what we can expect from the county when they receive a forecast that shows that we will exceed the NNB? And if they receive a budget that shows that we are not bottom line break even, uh, what we're giving them is factual. I think it's better to give them something factual than to make everything fit the parameters of the permanent agreement when we don't believe in it. But what, where are they coming from on this stuff? I don't know if uh, James, if you wanna take that one. And the question is, what's the county's position in regards to the net negative or to the permanent agreement? I'm sorry, is that, did I hear that correctly? And what's the, what, you know, not having been through this before, what happens if we do not have a break even bottom line budget, which we don't now? And what happens if we project uh, a number like a net negative balance a year from now of 200, 234 million. I realize that's going to drop to maybe 215 or something like that. But, you know, uh, I think I personally would favor giving them something that we think is factually correct, whether it meets the parameters of the permanent agreement or not. But where are, where do they come down on this thing? I would be hypothesizing. I think that it's a fair question. And the good news is that our CFO has really cultivated a very strong relationship with her counterparts at the county. I honestly would like for Kim to have that conversation with them and to just get a sense of, you know, what would they say to something like that? I could take a guess, but I'd much rather we um, kind of tested with them, run a trial balloon up and, and see what kind of feedback we get. So just a, a, a couple of, uh, of comments and a, and a lot, I may call on you, but the there is wording in the agreement that says we are to be balanced. Um, and I don't know, it doesn't clarify the definition of balanced. So does balance mean from cash flow? Does balance mean from... NNB, does it mean supporting the mission? It, it doesn't really clarify what balanced is supposed to be. This, um, these liabilities have been on the books, you can see, from like FY08, you know, 11, 15. So this recoupment has been sitting here for 
the, you know, last year when I did this and, and at least the year before and probably the year before that. So this is nothing new, these recoupments. And, you know, the county uh, in my conversations has, has told me, you know, we don't have the demand, you know, yet keep working to improve operations. And they've, they've told me, yes, we need to make sure that we, you know, have the reserves on our books and we need to show it. I think now I have a blue line from operations and a red line in my monthly report for all of you with and without recoupments. Uh, I have the table that keeps reminding everybody that these are out there, but we really focus on, on the blue line in my report, the operations line. And that's why there's two lines here. So although this this in, um, is different this year with a big hit of 59, which I'm sure the county would pick up on immediately, it's like, why do we have a net decrease of cash? But then I just have to go and explain what's happening with the supplementals and that we're paying part of this liability. Um, that's, that is different from last year we had, uh, we thought we would be, um, actually that's not true. Last year we were in a negative situation too. And we were negative because we had um, a, a budget appetite of 60 million. So that's what was driving a lot of the negative uh, deficit from last year. So I don't know, Ahmad, if I said that correctly. I think that's right, Kim. Uh, you know, uh, the legalese, uh, you know, what will happen is we have to notify them. There's a meet and confer period between the parties. But uh, you know, the more practical aspect is what James and Kim already sort of touched upon there, which is, you know, there's needs to be a discussion and a continued discussion. And I think Kim's having that right now. Okay, good. Yeah, when we uh, let the county know last year that we may be out of compliance, uh, we began having cash flow meetings every three weeks, and those have continued pretty much through today. Every once in a while, they get canceled, but pretty regularly, we meet just for the conversation with uh, you know Melissa Wilk and Rebecca Gephardt. Now they'll be with probably with her um, with her uh, replacement, but every three weeks. And this is, I always tell them where I think we are on the cash flow and, you know, we have a discussion about it. Can I ask a question? Um, and forgive my ignorance. I don't know if this is about the specifics of the uh, permanent agreement. Are we required to approve a balanced budget? Yes. Yes. But it doesn't say whether it's a balanced accrual base, cash basis, or what, it doesn't define what a balanced budget is. Uh, how? I'm <laughs> looking at our bottom line tonight. Um, that feels like a, a big stretch. That's why I think these conversations would be so so important. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, technically speaking, a balanced budget is where revenues and expenses are matched, right? And uh, and is is that correct, Kim? 
Well, if, if um, revenue equaled expense, um, you know, in, in, from a cash perspective, that's the positive 26, but we yeah. plan to spend it, you know, in these ways here. Yeah. Um, but then because of the, the balance sheet, we actually end up in a net negative cash position and we're a little below break even um, um, from operations. So. Yeah, I don't think it relates to the cash flow as much as like a EBITDA margin percentage. So this is some. This, so th there's some dialoguing with our with our county partners as we keep them fully informed along this, um, upon uh, having clarity on this definition of what that means, especially as we go into next week. Absolutely. And I guess a, a, a concurrent question is. Once we do approve a budget, what's the expectation of the county that we will achieve the budget? Do they forget about it for the next year, or is are they considering it a commitment on the, on the part of the administration and the board? Um, they, I talked to them. They know that we have built in a lot of performance improvement, uh, and. Uh, that's typically my conversations with them relate on on what we're doing and, and how we're achieving that. Um, I know it's very important to them that you know we hit this NNB. You know that's been you know a, a conversation since the day I got here, and these recruitments, of course, have been just you know sitting you know sitting over us and never knowing when these are going to come through has really been a problem for you know, our leadership and our relationship with the county. What support do you need from the trustees uh, on, on, on this discussion mm -hmm. with, with our, with our, with our county uh, counterparts? Um, we can, and we can do that in a separate, in a, in a separate discussion, but know that part of the job of the trustees is to help support and I think, uh, uh, if need be, we'll, we'll be there with you to have clarification on this, on these specific questions. You know, what is their definition of a balanced budget? Because we're obligated by our bylaws to do it. And what is the contingency or or, or reaction to not meeting said said projection? In so addition I think to that, how does the county help us manage the unpredictability of these recoupments? Yeah. So I think I think the you know this at least those three specific questions and having a dialogue and clarity between the respective parties will be super important. Otherwise, we're just guessing on each other. And also being held accountable for yeah. things that are outside of our control. Yeah. So, Madam Chair, I make myself available to your assistance and to the CFO and the CEO, CEO on 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 how we can get to this because uh, we're going into next week uh, where this item will be either receiving an approval from here or, or, or just getting a de, de novo vote. So we have about a week um, um, to at least get some modicum of clarity on these three issues. Yeah, and there are a couple more comments here. So this situation is not new. It's been this way for some time. But what I do think the county will appreciate here is that we are generating the 26 million and we are projecting to meet the terms of the NNB. So that is one big positive, yeah. and that is a situation that was not here last year, and I'm not sure that it was before that. Yeah. But I, I don't know, I have the, the 
the original budgets for these years. Uh, but that is, it puts us in a different place than we were last year when we started all these, you know, cash flow meetings and we went and met with the board of supervisors and had all the, the, the issues that happened last fall. But this is different. So I want to make sure everybody recognizes that because we're projecting that we're going to be below this NNB. You know, for me, the issue is, you know, we need everybody, all of us to be behind and support the performance improvement initiatives because the county needs to support us. This board needs to support us. You know, our organization needs to support it because that's the only way that we're going to be successful. Absolutely. Chair Esteen, I look to be called on to serve you on this issue however you want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that ultimately you and I both will have to take guidance um, from discussions that will be initiated, I think, by our sole employee and our CFO. Yes, ma'am. Uh, so, you know, please let us both know how we can be of service uh, and schedule necessary meetings in advance of Wednesday or after, um, depending on how things need look or, you know, I think that uh, this is all quite important and shouldn't be moved too quickly so that we can really um, discuss all the options that might need to be discussed. I appreciate everyone's um, earnestness and consideration of all these factors. So I'll move to the capital budget. Thank you. Okay, so here is the multi-year, the 22, 23, 24. And I just, I have to remind everybody that, you know, we don't have that strategic plan. So these are the items that we know about today without considering, you know, where we wanna be in three years. There may need to be additional investments in certain strategies, but this is what we know today. Um, uh, we also know that that you know we spent a lot on epic we did defer some maintenance so there we are seeing more equipment failures than um, probably historically at least that's what I've been told we've got a two million contingency built in each year for those and uh, we have a new capital process that is more just in time in other words folks have and if this capital budget is approved, the stakeholders will be informed that they have a placeholder for FY22. And what that does is that triggers them to go do their due diligence. So that means if they, uh, you know, they need to go scope their project or they need to do an RFP, they can engage in that process knowing that, you know, they're in the plan, right? But they don't have to do it unless they're in the plan. So. The idea there is to be more organized, to actually do the due diligence up front, do a better job in identifying what the true cost of the project is before we ask for approval. So this is the proposed capital budget. So these are the new items. And again, um, you know, we have, we can make real time adjustments if we need to, but this is the proposed capital budget, the total dollar amount that we are estimating. So they have not done their RFPs. They haven't done all of the due diligence yet. 
they've made estimates. And this is the cash flow that we are thinking we will spend on these projects in this next fiscal year. Uh, so I don't know if anybody wants to talk about anything on this list. Um, it's obvious that Rover Nursing is a big one, the Epic Beacon Project, Kronos Workforce Dimensions is another big dollar amount. I want to just point out one of the main reasons why we want to do that is we want to get our schedules in Kronos and we want to be able to report real time. You know, the next day, if, you know, we have how much overtime we have, if we're meeting our productivity standards, if not, uh, so that we can actually manage uh, to our labor standards. Uh, we uh, have I, to give tools to our folks. So, Kim, I have, <clears throat> this is the area I would like to comment on, and I would like to see <clears throat> this broken down. I mean, okay, a new roof. Is it a capital project? Yeah. Is it going to add productivity, efficiency? Not really. I mean, but you have to have a roof over your head, right? Um, if there's a way to break break up the build, especially the building, I mean, to me, a roof is it's not capital; it's a repair. And to break out the repair budget, what versus other capital expenditures? that will lead to cost saving or, or revenue uh, uh, creation or improvement. Those are the things, I, you know, again, going back to the strategy versus strategic versus operations, you know, I, I fully expect the management to maintain the roof. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't think that's a, a board should spend much time on that. Like, yeah, you gotta have a roof that's waterproof. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to pick on that, but, you know, the value the board can add strategically is to look at, help you, help the management look at things that, you know, save money and increase revenue and maintain the quality of care. I mean, which is not to say a roof doesn't, it's just, of course, you have to fix the roof. You know what I mean? So, so is that, is that any, make any sense? Yeah, we're, but we are asking you to approve a capital budget and that 250 meets the capital requirement. So that's why it's on this list. So we're asking it for a capital budget. This you, maybe you're not understanding what I'm saying. Break it down between the two. Yeah, yeah. And I think, um, Trustee Splendoria, perfect. Next year when we have a strategic plan and we're moving into budget, it would be nice to be able, to your point, be able to link these capital expenditures to a strategic initiative. So you can directly see what capital is being expended to achieve strategies we want right and and i would expect to see some sort of red return analysis you know if we're gonna spend a dollar what do we what do we expect to get out of it all right thank you and and we in our in our capital process i think it's it's actually in the appendix although it's not completely what you're what you're looking for but we have categorized things as regulatory and safety you, you, as a you return do. on investment right you, you do investment. you you do kim and like i said about that was my some of the stuff that i was going to talk about now that i've already said is about there's nuggets here right it's, it's here it, it just for someone like me who thinks we should be more far more strategic than we have been I, that would be something i want to be i want to be highlighted that's all Uh, 
And I recognize that other trustees want to get into the details of the operation. I understand that, but I'm just, I'm not going to, I won't be doing that. No, I, I think um, having the, having a strategic um, um, view is very important for this committee, uh, but there are a few things we have to check the box on, and this is one of them. We need a, we need you guys to approve a capital budget. So these are the items that we're bringing forth as are items that we think we we need to to move forward on um and that they total uh 19.8 of which we think we'll spend 12.1 on it and so those are the new items that we're going to ask you know for a check mark to approve so i guess what i'm hearing is i mean one thing i would have you know i, I follow on with alan's comments about it perhaps some you know more realist or conservative budget, I, you know, I would have loved to have seen what Mark just talked about. And if, if it's not going to happen this year, I understand. Um, but perhaps um, once there's given more thought to it, whether through strategic planning process or through management, that that actually come back to us and we look at it. If it's mid-year, it's mid-year. But I, I just... No, not that one. No, that's what I think is important. Okay. That's all I got. And yeah, I ask a question. This is Trustee Dong. I'm sorry to join late. I had a work meeting. Um, Kim, may I ask a question? Sure. Um, from what I can see in this chart, oh, the previous chart, I don't, I'm looking at another slide now. It, it seems, can we go back to the previous slide? Thank you. The facility requests seem extremely basic. I mean, going back to what uh, Trustee Spondorio said they seem extremely basic supplies and things that we need to do from a capital standpoint. I'm wondering from the IT side, uh, how, are any of these required by regulation or statute? But they really seem quite basic from the facility side. Yeah. Um... In the um, in the deck here, um, uh, slide 47, we group it by whether it's compliance, equipment, infrastructure, and you know we can always expand on that and put the items in there. But we do have them categorized categorized on slide 47. Um, oh. it, it may not be enough detail. I'm afraid if I go forward, I might not be able to go back. <laughs> it worked going this way, but let's see. It's just a summary um, here, and we can expand on that for next time. But I really think we we need our strategic plan so that we are, you know, building a budget that supports that. And without it, you know, we're we're basically just trying to keep the lights on and and trying to mm -hmm. make sure that we have what we need to keep operations going. And and I agree with uh, Trustee Splendora that. Really, we need to be looking at you know three years from now. You know what is needed for to to for this organization um, to achieve a certain goal in three years, whether it's you know our patient satisfaction scores, our quality scores, you know our pay, our, our network, our access, all of those you know pillars, um, which you know is obviously not not in this presentation. Yeah, and Trustee um, Dong, this is Mark. I I think you're right. I think 
the capital budget does represent some very basic. If it was mm-hmm. a Maslow's hierarchy, it's on the bottom. It's very basic because I think mm-hmm. it's representative of the condition of some of our facilities. I think it's representative of Absolutely. years of not buying equipment mm-hmm. that's state of the art. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to catch up, if you will, in this year in our yes. emergency in our emergency capital. We've purchased, I don't know, a fair amount of emergency capital from ovens breaking down, you know, you you name it. Um, so we're playing some catch-up on the basics. Yes. If absolutely. I may, it's James. And, yeah. It's James. And I would just add, you know, you've heard um, some of the physicians in other board meetings talking about their frustration around equipment that had gone for, for years. So it's deferred maintenance. And so mm-hmm. the emergency capital markers referring to really it's the basic blocking and tackling, making mm-hmm. sure that they have, you know, EKG machines in the emergency room that actually and monitors that actually work um, and they're not jury rigging them. And so it, we are at the bottom of the, the hierarchy of needs, but um, we can be more definitive and more descriptive in subsequent iterations of these documents. But that's where we are right now. Mm-hmm. This is Jenny. Um and I'd just like to say that, you know, remember, we just went through EPIC, $224 million or $221 million. For the last few years, all of our cap budget, CAPEX budgets have just looked at how do we stay above water? How do we just keep all our machines running? How do we fix the leaky roofs and done? So there hasn't been all of that. So definitely, like, this ties well into the kind of planning process that we do. And I also hope that with the new leadership at the foundation uh, too, that we are really like tapping into that partnership through our AHS foundation to be real partners in, in uh, supporting some of those, you know, uh, 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 other capital expenses that are strategically so vital for us, but just because we are scraping at like what what's absolutely urgent and necessary, we don't, uh, have the bandwidth or the uh, or the resources for those. And I think we also have to look at how some of these purchases reduce our risk. If our infrastructure and basic equipment is so outdated that we're buying this basic equipment with deferred maintenance, I mean, we also have to look at it from a health risk uh, and overall organizational risk factor. So um, anyway, those are my comments. If we got our seven million uh, every year on time, so some of those would also be offlaid um, from the county. So I'm really hoping, um, Kim, that with the that this year we will be able to get those. Yeah, thank you, trustees. Those are all very thoughtful comments. These are this deferred maintenance is absolutely critical to our operation and to the health and safety of the communities we serve. To be in an ER that doesn't have uh, a service plan because our monitors and our recess rooms are so outdated that should something break, then we'd be forced in a moment to have to buy new equipment. And it doesn't make sense to put our patients at risk. If my grandmother or if I you know, had a need for resuscitation and ended up at San Leandro Hospital, I would wanna know that the equipment is 100% in working order. You know, this is why, uh, as you were talking about patient capture earlier, Kim, um, and we're trying to figure out with the county, how do we bring 
patients back into our system of care instead of them going to a brand new hospital in the same city that's you know two miles away we bring them back by having a facility that isn't necessarily state-of-the-art but is a hundred percent safe and I think that this speaks to that and again the need for our county support So let's go back up here to finish this capital conversation. Um, so here are the carry forward items. These are the things that were approved um, by the previous um, finance and board um, and we're still paying on them. So we still owe some dollars here. So we need to um, make sure that we can um, fund that. Any questions on these items? Okay. Can I ask one question about um, Alameda Hospital and SB90? SB90 is the initiative that covers the tax payments, is that correct? that comes from the residents of the city of Alameda? The Senate oh, Bill no, 90. SB 90 is about uh, seismic. Yes. How much money do does the tax initiative that comes from the residents of Alameda amount to yearly? The total Six we million. get is... Um, probably about... Um, Seven million, something mm -hmm. like that. Okay, just noticing that the biggest item on the carry forward is the seismic uh, retrograde retrofit for the kitchen, and wanted to make sure that we were also acknowledging the contribution that the citizens of Alameda have been making towards that. Everyone's doing their part. Any other comments on the carry forward? Okay, that is my presentation. I have, you know, a lot of other slides here, but I, you know, I, unless somebody has a question, we can, um, we don't need to go through those. I mentioned the supplemental detail slide here as well. Um, and of course we did the CapEx. Any any other questions? Um, so thank you very much, Kim. This has been a really great presentation of the budget and I appreciate the time that everyone has invested in asking questions and being thoughtful. Um, this is an action item and uh, because it is an action item, I'll be looking for a motion and we can think about this in a lot of ways, trustees. We can think about um, holding on to this item for further review. We did ask for information regarding length of stay at John George uh, Hospital. Um, and 
while we may not have detailed plans next week around some of these strategic initiatives, there may be more information that comes next week. We also are asking for information about how the county can support us as we think through recruitments. Um, so there's no rush. We also have a fifth Wednesday in June that would allow for another look at this budget so that we could come together as finance committee. Um, there are ways that we can also meet, um, what's the phrasing tap? We meet at the same time as the full board. It would be like a, a or we could call it a special meeting of the board, I believe. Or it could uh, just be a special meeting. Yeah, uh, I, I, I actually would like to move this item tonight. Um, I don't see it because really what this is about is making a recommendation to the full board. And then with ever other disclosures or comments, we've heard a lot of them from a lot of trustees, uh, things we'd like to see. And I, for one, would like to see. And whether that happens next week or the fifth Wednesday, uh, I'm fine. I, I want to deliver a budget um by the end of the month and um so i mean i'm happy to make a motion but i i will invite every trustee who has something they'd like to see uh i did keep a, a running note on paper but i I, rec I mean i had a comment about this breaking up this capital budget into a, a, a couple of buckets uh alan talked about a more realistic number i heard another comment about a balanced budget and what that really is uh also about john george hospital i heard a bunch of things perhaps we could fashion a motion that uh recommends approval with the uh the cf you know kim coming back with these additional items that we should all consider at the full board meeting does that make any sense yes it does how, so, uh, how do you feel about it, Alan and Louisa, uh, fashioning a motion uh, that is pending the receipt of the items that we've requested? No, um, I'm not. I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm saying we move it to the full board and mm -hmm. have the CFO prepare these items, and whether it's next to next Wednesday or the fifth Wednesday, that so that the full board can consider what we all would like to see. So I think that the the request for the action item tonight is to make a recommendation of the budget as it is presented. And if we have requests for additional items, then we need to see those items so that we can take them into account. That's maybe, maybe, what, maybe what we could do is, uh, you know, personally, I support all these initiatives and I, I support the effort that went into preparing this budget. Um, you know, I do have reservations about the aggressiveness of it, but uh, let me just try to suggest something that we say that the finance committee recommends that the board, the full board approve this budget subject to a couple of things. Uh, and, and the thing that I'd be interested in is further consideration by the uh, senior administration of uh, additional reserves for uh, uh, for the success of performance improvement initiatives and 
return of pre-COVID volume. Let's put it that way. Uh, that doesn't mean that it's, nece- uh, it's a necessity, but I would like it to be considered. And and then Splend might have a couple of, you know, subject and subject to something well, else. So, so, so if we're going to follow the rules here, I will second that motion and offer a friendly amendment that the um, breakout of the, of the CapEx budget be into two buckets. One, the more... I mean, Jeanette mentioned a word where pedestrian uh, repairs or but I would like to see that broken into two buckets, one of the more repair type stuff and also the things that uh, capital expenditures that would add value or or or, or um, help us with expenses um, just to see that next week or or in fifth fifth week. So. Jennifer, I'll turn it back to you, but then you would ask Alan to, if he approves my friendly amendment, then you can move on. I approve Trustee Splendorio's friendly amendment. Uh, I will say that the friendly amendment takes into account um, that we would not be uh, operating as the finance committee that makes the approval for expenditures. And that saying something is, it just seems super subjective to say what is value added and cost. I don't know if that actually fits. Ahmad, is that something that no, we can do? You know, th- there's another option here if, if you all want to consider, which is you, know, you can defer this to the full board. Uh, the board will ultimately make the final decision to approve the budget. Uh, you can direct uh, staff, uh, you know, you all have a number of questions you can direct the staff to come back with those uh, questions answered at the full board meeting. And I also, uh, just one other thing, uh, Chair Steen, uh, Madam Chair. So uh, the packets are going to be, uh, for the full board, are gonna be going out this Friday. So, uh, so we don't have too much wiggle room, at least this, for this, uh, for next Wednesday's board meeting, but we do for the, last week of the month there. Thank you for that, Ahmad. Trustee Blue, do you have anything to add before we consider? Can somebody repeat what the motion is? If we're gonna vote on it? I mean, seriously, were you able to I have totally lost in that, so. Because what I thought Splen said earlier, and correct me if I'm wrong, Splen, was that we work on this budget and that we have a, you know, a full budget that can be presented to the board for approval. Did I hear you right? No. All I all I asked for is to a further de- a further detail of the capital capex budget. That's all I asked for. Oh, I just okay. want it broken down differently. Okay. So are we looking for a second to the motion? Then we got a second with a friendly amendment. And we also have the option to defer to the full board uh, well, with the hopes that the staff can uh, get everything prepared for the Brown Act by Friday. Well, let me ask a question: How important is how important is it to administration to to get this board to get this budget approved at the at the regularly scheduled board meeting? Given that it has to be loaded into the system. Uh, is that an issue or for, for you, Kim, and your staff, or is that not that much of an issue? 
we would very much like for this budget to be approved. Um, uh, Trustee Splendora's request is not is, is a very simple one that we can do by Friday. Uh, we can look at the do some scenario maybe that we can include in the packet with the board that I think would be quite easy for COVID and um, and you know reserves on the performance improvement items, which are the items you mentioned, Trustee Fox. Uh, none of those are significant. Um, you know, assuming that no one else has other feedback for big changes to the deck. Um, but we would like to see it approved because you're right. We have to, we have to load all this. We also need to build entity-based financial statements that we agreed to do starting in July. So we have a lot of work. Plus we want to, you know, hit the ground running on the performance improvement. So if we're busy, you know, reworking budgets we're not doing the work towards moving on those performance improvement initiatives um, i think in the reserves for the pi um, if i understood trustee fox correctly um, there may in providing that information the board may make a change to to the actual approved budget but i think that that it could still happen next week that's that's my thought so I think we should, I'm suggesting we go ahead with the motion The the timing dis difference of three weeks is critical to moving the budget ahead in this, in the system and, and doing everything else that Kim mentioned. And it's also critical to have this off the plate of the, of the senior administration so they can get to work on all of these initiatives instead of reworking the budget and preparing for another board meeting. Uh, as the chair, I'd like to also restate the request for John George data so, so we, we can know have, how we derive the length of stay yeah we, we i can provide you we can probably manually put that together but we've also got that on the tracker to be full present a uh, full presentation for john george i think next month anyway i think it's relevant to the goal of uh strategic initiatives that we see it so we could handle that as part of Trustee Fox's comment on the uh, the reserves on the performance improvement. So we could include something on that length of stay for you as part of you know why we might put a reserve on that particular item. Uh, Chair, may I ask a procedural question? Please. Um, I'd like to ask Council: Is the budget in um, here at AHS? Is it require one reading or two? Um, so the finance committee generally reviews, but the ultimate decision rests with the board. Board. And is that one reading by the board of trustees or two? One. Okay. Hmm. I mean, it could be uh, it could be Thank more. But one minimum. It, it requires one vote of the board of trustees. Is that is that of right? The full board, of the okay. full board, correct. Thank you. Mona, can you tell me what you have down for the motion? I would love to. Um, <laughs> I want to make sure I have it right. So uh, what I have captured is that um, Trustee Fox moved and Splendoria second that the board uh, recommend that the finance committee recommend approval to the full board. Um, the budget subject to further consideration by leadership of additional reserves for successful performance improvement initiatives and pre-COVID volumes um, that they break out uh, the CapEx into pedestrian repairs and um, things that would add value and help with expenses and that they include information on the John George uh, length of stay. 
Is that quite impressive, Rona? Very impressive. Very impressive. So if I recall, there was one other question someone had is whether or not what is a balanced budget that we are required to approve. I don't know if that needs to be part of the motion, but I, I would expect that someone answer that question next Wednesday. So at least we have an understanding. Ahmad, that maybe is a question for you to, to answer. Yes, absolutely. I'll, I'll have that answer for you. Does a negative 0 0.5, Ahmad, does a negative 0.5% operating budget fall within the parameters of a balanced budget with 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 our the parameters as submitted with that 2.3 EBITDA. Gotcha. Thank you, sir. Okay, of course. So hearing the motion and having a second, uh, are we ready to vote? Members of the Finance Committee only. Well, ready. All right, we'll take a roll call vote, Rana. All right, Trustee Blue. Aye. Trustee Esteem. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Splendorio. Aye. The motion passes. Thank you. All right. And I well, want to com and I want to commend our chair for doing a wonderful job navigating <laughs> us through that. <laughs> Thank you so much. That was right, my easiest moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have, t have another shot of espresso. Yeah. <laughs> Well, glad you said that because we're three hours and 10 minutes in and we have what looks like a full agenda, but I think considering such, um, I already made a mistake and we skipped approving the minutes. Um, there are only two items for action on this agenda, which are the minutes approval and contracts review. How about if I make a motion to approve the minutes? Second. All right, we'll take question. a roll call vote on that. But we have a question on the floor. Trustee Blue, did you have a question? No, call the question. Call the question, she said. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Madam That's Clark. That's a good question. <laughs> All right, just for a motion to approve the minutes, Trustee Blue. Aye. Trustee Steen. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Splendorio. Aye. The motion next pattern. Pass Thank you so much. I apologize. The next matter would be to uh, move or for tonight, we can suspend uh, the budget report for April as well as the uh, COO's report as non-action items. Uh, would anyone like to make a motion to approve holding off on hearing those items? I think you have that um, discretion. I think you have that discretion on your yeah, own, Chair. You know, you don't have to make a motion or that. Yeah. Great. I will operate uh, with discretion and say that we are going to strike those items from the agenda and move into the contracts review. Um, and just want to double check as we speed through the last part of this. Do we have any public comment, Madam Clerk? Let me double check my email real quick. My VPN uh, timed out, so I apologize. Hold on one moment. No worries. I, I do not see any. All right. Um, so we will move into the, the contracts discussion. Is our CMO here to present? Hi, Trustee. This is uh, Felicia Tornabetti. Dr. Jamaladeen is out of the country this evening. 
the two um, contracts, um, I'll start with the AIM Professional Services Agreement. Um, this, we, we have had a many-year relationship with Alameda Inpatient Medical. Um, for this agreement, um, this is a two-year renewal that would be effective 8-1-21. This covers the professional services um, by the hospitalists and the AIM group at John George, the Fairmont Skilled Nursing Facilities, and the Acute Rehab Unit at San Leandro. Um, and some uh, medical direction services uh, for those as well. Uh, the scope of services is essentially unchanged except for the addition of two hours per day uh, at the acute rehab going from six to eight hour uh, shift and then a 2% increase um, in, in terms of reflecting uh, cost of living increases. Thank you for that. Move approval. Second. Should we just approve them all at once and hear them, or, or do we want to go item by item? Trustees. Well, we got a second. Let's go ahead and vote. Rana. Yes, uh, Trustee Blue. Aye. Trustee Esteen. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Splendorio. Aye. Motion passes. Thank you. Back to you, Dr. Okay, great. Um, I will start, but then I, I might pass it over to Dr. Sims Mackey, who's also here. Um, so this the second one is the East Bay Foundation um, GME uh, agreement. Um, the East Bay Residency Program um, falls under UCSF. This agreement will have the same number of residents, but there is a built-in increase in the cost of living. Uh, cost of living. Um, this has been a long, also a long-standing agreement, uh, just undergoing annual renewal. And with that, I'll I'll hand it over to Dr. Sims Mackey for any additional. Thank you, Dr. Tornabene. Um, not much to add. I think you all have the contract in there just to remind you that these individuals work up to 80 hours a week. And when you figure out their salary, it's probably less than $20 an hour. So um, they are our uh, pipeline to our medical staff, show great diversity in the surgery program. Um, and, you know, it's important for us as an educational institution to stay in line with other programs, to stay competitive um, so that we can attract the very best and the brightest to our program. So I'll move approval. Second. Second. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Yes, Chesty Blue. Aye. Trustee Esteen. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Splendorio. Aye. Question passes. Thank you very much for the presentation. We absolutely want to Thank support you. the medical pipeline. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Mr. Fratsky, are you ready? Yes, I am. Thank you, Trustee Esteen. We've got in front of you a contract for three years um, <clears throat> for a new vendor for security services named Intercon. We've gone through a five-vendor RFP over the month of May. Um, I can tell you that there was good representation um, in making the decision. And I want to thank Amal Amini, our security director, who is here for any detailed questions you may have, as well as I think Ira Holly and Susanna Flores from contracting really was the one who ran the entire RFP and, and thanks to her. 
Um, but Intercon um, is, is an organization based in Pasadena, has an office in Hayward. Um, we like them. They, they, they hire a diverse um, local workforce, and they are in conversation with SEIU to, to let them know they will honor the current CBA for all of the AHS hires. Um, they're a certified minority business enterprise with 67% of their staff being minority. Um, and so this new agreement will be from October 1st of this year through September 30 of 2024. And um, we're requesting approval for just over $32 million, $32 million $650,080 over three years. So um, it was decided to go into RFP, I think, late last year based on some of the, um, a lot of the feedback we were getting around the organization, around our current vendors. Um, so I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. And if you have any detailed questions about it, um, Amal is here as well. Amal, uh, hi, Tafuket. Um, a quick question. This is at the Highland campus. This is in addition to the sheriff presence. presence is that correct? Uh, yes, Tap, that is correct, Trustee Buket. Yes, sir. Thank you. Move approval. Second. I, I have one Go ahead. question Go ahead. Uh, from a labor partner. And the, I don't know if uh, this is a question for you, Amal, but it was uh, posed to me that the current vendor uh, is a part of or has a SEIU, USWW has an agreement that allows for a multi-employer contract so that they can represent the staff that is hired by the current vendor. And they are interested in having the same kind of agreement with Intercom. Um, I was told that they would be on this call, but you know, three hours and 20 minutes in. Oh, there are three speakers. I just got a message from the board clerk because I don't think I'm doing justice to the issue. Um, so maybe I should stop. And I just wanna make sure that the procedure that even though we have a motion on the floor, that it's okay to hold for public comment. Yes, that's fine, Chair Steve. Okay, great. So I'm just gonna step back now and allow the speakers to go right ahead. Hello, can everybody hear me? Good evening. Yeah, right. you have three minutes. Okay. Uh, my name is Greg Morales. Uh, I'm currently uh, a rep with SEIU USWW. Um, I've been part of the security industry since 1989, about 14 <clears throat> security officer as a security officer here in the East Bay. Um, and then the balance of that time working uh, with the union. Um, I can talk in both those capacities. Uh, my time working in the East Bay when I was a security officer, my, my post, I worked at one site for 11 years, which was a long time in the security industry um, out at the Port of Oakland. And during that those 11 years, uh, I went through four different security employers. Um, the thing that really benefited us it was having uh, a master CBA, a multi-employer uh, collective bargaining agreement so that every time a new employer came in, 
our standards remained the same, right? Our seniority was grandfathered with, with each successive company, our wages, our health insurance, our, our vacation, seniority, holidays, because all these employers um, either were part or signatory or they had signed on to the, uh, the union contract. So that was a great benefit for me and my family. Um, so and I have noticed in my capacity now uh, working for the union, the history, you know, going back before the current um, contractor, Allied Universal was HSS, and the standards were pretty low. Just in the short time that AUS has had it since 2018, they had to go through a, what's called a two-year phase-in, where they have two years, because they took it over from a non-union um, security company, they had two years to phase in the economic parts of the CBA uh, to bring it up to the contract standard. That, that happened just last year in July of 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic. Um, that was the one bright spot in, in the middle of um, our members working, you know, being essential workers and working in the healthcare uh, environment through this pandemic. They became fully 100% union in July of 2020. Now, here we are 11 months later, and there's a threat of going backwards and jeopardizing the progress we had just started to make through the CBA and through future successive CBAs. Uh, the current CBA is set to expire this at the end of this month right now. Bar got a bargaining committee in place. Uh, it's just that the concern now is that, that because um, Intercon is a non-union security company and uh, basically they're not, you know, there's no agreement. There's no one's put pen to paper. So I'll stop right there. I There are two other... Uh, speakers here, Randy's iPad is one, and Imani James is the other, if you see the names. They are actually sec working security officers that work under the Alameda Health account uh, currently for Allied Universal Security. So I'd like to give them an opportunity to speak. Thank you very much, Mr. R Morales. And forgive me for not expressing the rules of public comment. Uh, you will have each three minutes to speak and uh, board members will not respond. Uh, so the next speaker uh, can feel free to go ahead. If that's Imani James, go right ahead. Yes. Um, my name, can you guys see me? Okay. Hi. Um, my name is Imani, and I'm a currently a union security officer employed at John George, which falls under Alameda Health account. I'm speaking today because I'm concerned with the security contract being signed over to a non-union contract that will negatively impact myself and my coworkers. Um, keeping our security contract union will improve a better trained workforce, better wages and lower employee turnovers. I know you said no questions, but I had a question is in addition, is the board willing to negotiate a new contract with the security to have a security company with a union? And that's all I have to say. Thank you, Ms. James. Uh, the next speaker. I think you're on mute, sir. Hi, my name is Randy Stoltz. I'm with the um, Alameda um, Services for the 
Hayward Wellness Center. I've been there for three years working under under Alameda Health Services. I just wanted to to express my uh, my concerns with the uh, with the new ac- uh, account that's on the agenda. Um, I just became a union. I just became union this year. I've been working with you guys for the past four years. First uh, year and a half with with that John George. And then I moved on to the uh, working at the Hayward Wellness Center. I just wanted to express my uh, my concerns with it. Is uh, I I built a family with the with the, with you all. You all been like a family to me since I've been here. You've always uh, you always had a uh, I had a voice when I made an opinion to my staff to the management, especially with Hayward Wellness. They were always willing to listen. Even though it was good, bad, or indifferent, they listened to what I had to say. My my opinion mattered. So I'm speaking today on behalf of the staff that I work with that we need to stay union because we've been there through the thick and thin of it, through everything. Uh, this pandemic, I worked six days a week, 10 hours a day. I've, I've worked at John George all hours. Any hours you guys wanted me there, I was there for you as a non-union worker, working as at the lowest pay you guys gave me at the beginning of my of my career with you all. I just wanted to express that we want to live too. We want to have a life. I want to own a home one day, but living working and uh, working as not as a union worker, I don't know if I could never do that because for what we do, but what we do, we put ourselves at the risk. Uh, we're not getting paid enough and I want to live. Um, mm-hmm. I was, uh, that's just my opinion. That's what I have to say. And that's all I got to say. I hope you guys make the right decision for us. Cause I heard some things in here. You guys are making the cost of living, but we want to live too. We want to live too. And we want to work for you. I, I, I express, I express this to you that, that I want to work for you personally. I want to work for Alameda County. Alameda Health Services. I want to be be a part of it because I've been with you all for almost four and a half years. So that's it. I just wanted to express my my feelings on it, and I hope you all make the right decisions tonight. Or whatever whatever that may be, uh, budget or not, we want to live too. We want to have a house one day. I do. <laughs> Anyways, that's it. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Trustee Steen, Mayor. Absolutely. Yeah, so uh, in our dialogue with Intercon, they've informed us they've already reached out to the SEIU and have informed them that they are willing to honor the current CBA that's in place with Allied Universal Security. So so with that, uh, they're waiting to hear back from the SEIU, which they're expected to hear back by Friday. In addition, they've also mentioned that they've been in, or they currently have a relationship with the SEIU and they continue to partner with them and they have a harmonious relationship. And Madam they're confident Chair, that they'll reach agreement again. Madam Chair, we have one more public speaker. Um, okay. The name uh, of uh, Richard Stack. Richard, you have three minutes. Thank you so much. Hi, I'm Richard Stack. I'm Chief Operating Officer of Intercon Security Systems Incorporated. Um, I'm also somebody that's been with Intercon for 24 and a half years, started as a security officer and was a union dues paying member through many of those years. I was a member of two different unions, bargain and collective bargaining agreements. 
Intercon currently has about 65% of our domestic work that is organized by union labor agreements, four of which are with the SCIU. We have an agreement with the SCIU in Washington State, Oregon, Illinois, and Minneapolis, or Minnesota, sorry. I personally was on the call with the- I truly believe that. Uh, yep, sorry. I personally was on the call with the SCIU on Friday of last week, and we guaranteed the SCIU that we would honor the terms and the conditions of their collective bargaining agreement that covers these workers. The only point of contention is we were not willing to sign on to a master services agreement that covered other organized personnel within this region because they've already elected to have other unions. We will ensure the pay and the benefits are held the same. And in fact, a quick review of what we believe the current collective bargaining agreement is, we believe our wages are higher and most employees will receive a pay increase. We fully recognize the employees' rights to pick a union, whichever union they want to have them represented or represent it. And we've never in our 47 years had a labor strike at any one of our locations here domestically or internationally when they are protected by union agreements. So we welcome the opportunity to work with Alameda Health Systems and with the SCIU to make sure that these employees that are protecting your very critical locations continue with their wage and benefits, continue with their seniority, and we will make sure that our agreement with Alameda Health Systems is modified if it needs to be, To and we built in a contingency with your group so that if any of the terms and conditions for the benefits were more than what we thought they were when we bid on the contract, that they could be modified to keep these people whole. That's all I wanted to say, and thank you for letting me speak. Thank you, sir. Uh, Amal, do you have any further comments? No, I believe uh, Richard summed it up well. Thank you. All right. Well, I appreciate that uh, AHS is a site that has labor uh, respect and union representation. So uh, we've already had a motion on the floor and a second. Uh, I think we can take a roll call vote now. Yes, Trustee Blue. Aye. Trustee Esteen. Aye. Trustee Fox. You're on mute, Alan. Aye. Trustee Splendoria. Aye. The motion passes. All right, that is the end of our agenda. Um, I think we can also forego committee planning issues and tracking. We've talked about tracking many things tonight. Uh, we don't need a motion to adjourn, but I will entertain one anyway. <laughs> and on that note, everyone have a great night. We'll see Bye. you. Good night. Thank you. Good job, boss. Thank you. <laughs> Good job to us all.